Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner, Murph and Fred back together again on ESPN 1000. Oh, welcome on in. Murph's got the day off. What a day off. His Cal Ripken streak snaps. I'll have to start another one next week. Murph will be back next week. Fred Hubner with you. And we wanted to talk a lot of baseball today. So who do we bring in? get jesse rogers the little guy in for that for two and a half hours because he's in cincinnati far from the ballpark but uh the cubs with an afternoon game and they can't start the game without him so jesse will be here for the next two and a half hours jess what's going on well i'm one coffee in i need another one to get out the grouchiness of getting up early to talk to you for two and a half hours yeah well I got an Uber, uh, drove about 12 miles north of the city, so okay. I'm at ESPN Studios. Um, it's still in Cincinnati, actually, so 12 miles north of downtown, I should say. Cloudy day, cloudy morning. It's going to rain, as it always does when the Cubs play, but by 4 Eastern, 3 Central, they'll get the game in. So I'm looking uh, outside from ESPN Studios in Cincinnati, about, like I said, 12 miles North of downtown. Ready to rock and roll, Freddie, with you for the next couple, three hours. I'll leave a little bit before your show ends so I can get to the ballpark in time. I have to find out why Wilson told Anthony Rizzo to <laughs> shut up on the mound. That's, that's what my every, first goal this morning. Yeah, that's what everybody wants to know. Why, why did he tell him to shut up? Yeah, I didn't know about it until later because, <laughs> yeah. obviously, um, I'm getting the Cincinnati feed, mm-hmm. and we, I, we didn't they didn't show that there. They, they must have shown in Chicago. Anyway... It's kind of a small thing. It seemed like not a big deal. Rizzo turned to the ump and said something. So I don't think they would be fighting on the mound with the umpire there. But anyway, we'll find out later about that. More important things to discuss with this team, which has lost a couple in a row. Yeah, they have. They go to Cincinnati. And it, it, interesting stat, at least for me uh, yesterday, I was watching the game and Len Casper, I think it was Len Casper, said the Cubs have not played the Reds at Wrigley yet this year. They've played in Cincinnati. Well, this is the second time they've had a series there, but they've not played at Wrigley field yet yeah and they've played some of their worst baseball in cincinnati if you recall they had a double header here earlier and between games uh joe madden went off on his team to reporters the game one was really bad game two was better and then yesterday he he basically summed up the first two games saying they were about the least impressive games they've played in about a month maybe some of that had to do with coming off sort of an emotional tight series against the dodgers who knows but these were two clunkers for sure um and, you know, it's just been an up-and-down season. We're going to talk to the bench coach, Brandon Hyde, at 10.30. Just get a – or 9.30 your time. Sorry, yeah. sorry. I'm That's looking okay. at my clock. And just get a different view. We hear from Joe every day, or at least I do, twice a day. And just get a different view from the bench. Uh, Brandon Hyde's been there a while, was the first-base coach. And it, it has been a weird season. I think they're going to be okay. I think they're going to go on their normal second-half run under Joe Madden. He's been a really good second-half manager. He manages – Point with 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 a sort of a, an idea that we're going to be rested and ready to rock and roll at the most important time of the season. That's the second half. So I do think that's going to happen. But up until this point, it has been a little strange for a team that's 11, 12, 13 games over 500. Sometimes they they look like that team, and sometimes they don't. And I guess these last couple of days prove that. But um, you know, 
You're going to win 60, lose 60. What do you do those other 42? Yeah, there's no doubt. We will hear from Joe Madden. We'll talk more about what happened yesterday. We'll take a lot of your phone calls. Cub fans, jump on in. Jesse will be here throughout the morning. 312-332-3776. He will, actually won't be here. He'll be in Cincinnati, but he will be here on the radio. And, Jess, I know you know this, but usually Murph and I, we do a lot of these Twitter poll questions, and Murph likes to give them out each half hour. I'm not I'm not, uh, you know, skilled enough to make sure I give them out. So I'm get, I've got four questions. They're all cover, they're all baseball related. So we're going to give them out now. People can go to at ESPN 1000 and vote on these poll questions. And before you're out of here sometime, maybe around 11 o'clock, we'll get to all of the, uh, answers and see what people said. Here's the first one. Who do the Cubs miss most? You Darvish, Brandon Morrow, or Carl Edwards Jr.? Now, for some people, it might sound easy because, you know, a starter, Darvish isn't there. But what Carl Edwards Jr. brings to that bullpen is tough and, you know, is really good. And then you see Brandon Morrow not around to uh, be a closer, which not that they've needed one the last couple of days. Uh, next question. Besides John Lester, which Cubs player should go to the All-Star game? Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, or all of them? We only get or four options. Well, we only, and we only get four options. <laughs> I know, uh, I know. You know. Uh, the third one, when Darvish comes back, what do you do with Montgomery? And this ties into something you've been talking about the last couple of days, but I'm not, I didn't give that as an option. Here are the options. You send him back to the bullpen, you go with a six-man rotation, or you use the DL like the Dodgers did, and you only have five pitchers in the... Sixth one goes on the DL for a 10-day rest. You talked about Madden and how he likes to give everybody rest to make sure they're ready for the second half. And the last one, it's on the south side of town, Jess. I'm not sure if you know. There's a guy named Yoan Moncada. <laughs> yep. uh, the question is, what should the White Sox do with Moncada? Let him learn in the bigs or send him to Charlotte? I'm telling you, Jess, as a Sox fan, yesterday he went one for nine. He made two errors in the first game. The Sox gave up six unearned runs in the first game, an 11-2 loss to the A's. They came back and they won the nightcap 6-4. to Giolito actually pitching well. We'll hear from him, and we'll also hear from Ricky Renteria talking about Lucas Giolito, one of the guys that's supposed to be, you know, one of the future building blocks for this White Sox team. And uh, right now they're just uh, putzing along. I actually could wear a White Sox shirt today because they snapped their eight-game losing streak. So yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. Finally, it took <laughs> yeah. two game, two you know, two chances to in win one, one day, right? Yeah, right. To win one, and they and they did. Those were all good questions, by the way. They really, they really are. I had one on on Waddle and Sylvie's show, which I took to Twitter. We don't have to make a poll question out of it, but uh, I, I thought I was sort of crazy as I was saying it, and Waddle and Sylvie thought I was crazy, and then I took it to Twitter, and I asked people from uh, you know ranking it from one to ten, ten meaning meaning I should be in the loony bin, you know what they thought, and the question was. Would you trade Mike Montgomery as sort of the centerpiece or in whatever you want to say, in part of a deal or the centerpiece of a deal for Manny Machado? And obviously a month ago, uh, I'd be crazy not to do that deal. But a lot of people sort of agreed with me. I, what, what, and what I said on Waddle and Sylvie's show is I, I hesitated. I, I sort of, I don't know, maybe I would do that deal, maybe not. And I'm still in that hesitation mode. I, I, Mike Montgomery has been darn good. Yeah. You have nothing behind him. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's why Luke Farrell is starting today, because they have nothing behind the six starters they have with Darvish on the DL. So if you trade Montgomery, you're down to five. Five, and uh, you know whether they struggle or get injured, this is all you That's have. That's all you got. Yep. And this guy is cost-controlled, pitching lights out. at. And, and let me tell you, he's a different pitcher now. He's taken another step. I've been there since the day he was traded for, 
and acquired, and he is different now. He First of all, he's got that mindset, I want to start, so he's motivated for sure, but he's pitching differently. He's pitching more confident. He's throwing strike ones. He's using his whole, full arsenal, um, and he's got good stuff. I, I've, I've changed my – not a change, change, but evolved on him because I think he's evolved. So to, to trade him for a rental, two-month position player rental – I don't know anymore. So I, I thought it was a good question. So people were answering, yeah, I, I, from, from 1 to 10, Jesse, 11. You belong in a loony bin. <laughs> Other people were like, zero. No, you don't trade a young, cross-controlled pitcher when you don't have much pitching. Um, so I thought that was an interesting question we could debate on the phone lines as well if we're not going to use it as a poll question. Oh, no, we can, we can debate no, 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 that. No, let's do it on the phones. I mean, yeah. I think that's better. Sure. 312-332-3776. couple of Cubs callers jumping on in. You had mentioned about the Cubs game. They lose two straight to Cincinnati, and we talked uh, earlier in the week about, you know, going to Cincinnati, you should at least win the series. Well, right now they, you know, they have to win the next two games to break even in the four-game set. Madden obviously saying last couple days not so good. You know, I mean, you could you could break it down in so many different ways. We just got hit better. We just haven't we haven't done that on a consistent basis. Um, Schwarber's homer was it pretty much. We had few opportunities really. Uh, they pitched well. They did pitch well. Castillo's got a good arm. Their bullpen's been better. Uh, so they have pitched better, but we still got to figure out a different way to score some runs. Yeah, there's no doubt they got to figure out another way to score runs. And we forgot to mention that we also have coming up later in the show Bob Nightingale, who wrote an article in the USA Today, which is unbelievable. Some of the stats that we're gonna we're gonna mention when we talk to Bob are just unbelievable. If you're a big fan of baseball, because as I am, obviously you are Jesse. And some of the things that are happening in baseball right now, um, not good for the game. Uh, you know, I know the commissioner wants to get more action in the game, and there there's just a couple of stats from last. Last night, for example, last night there were a couple of games where there were 30 strikeouts and seven hits. Aye. Seven Aye. hits in the game and 30 strikeouts. Yeah, that's bad. It's like, uh, come on. Did the Brewers and Cardinals have a lot of strikeouts? Yeah, Flaherty was on fire. Yeah. But, man, that Milwaukee team, just to segue to that, wow, I'm telling you, I've been saying it for a while. They've got that mojo that the Cubs have had. It's the mojo that the Cardinals don't. And we've right. talked about the Cardinals. They just don't feel like they have a lot of – they're having a lot of fun or have a lot of camaraderie there. Obviously, I see them a lot, but I'm not in that locker room a lot. But I'm telling you, Milwaukee's got that mojo. And Aguilar hits two solo home runs to beat the Cardinals. Flaherty had a great game. A lot of strikeouts, as you mentioned, in that game. Uh, but Milwaukee's got it going. They've, they've now opened up. Well, opened up. It's a two-game lead on the Cubs. And, you know, if you don't mind, can I give you the state of the Cubs? Can I give you my opinion on the state sure. of the Cubs? Sure. Because I kind of predicted with Sylvian Waddle and, and other shows that the Cubs would have a little rough stretch right after this Dodgers series. I, I'm a schedule guy. I didn't like the way the schedule played out with the injuries to the back end of the bullpen. I didn't know how they were going to lose games. I just felt like they had a 500 stretch coming up. Not making any excuses. But let's go back. Let's give you a, a state of the Cubs as I see it going back to spring training. All right? And people, okay. can, people can agree or disagree with me. Now, that was the surprise to me coming out of spring trading. They had a smooth February and March. I thought they would be better in April, like a lot of people. But maybe we should not have been surprised. And I'll tell you why. And I did say this in the offseason. When you sign, what was it now, six or seven free agent pitchers, you know, that are supposed to help you. Right. There's a good chance a few of them aren't or are going to get off to rough starts for whatever reason. Free agent pitching is a gamble. Free agency in general is a gamble. The Cubs signed the most 
free agent pitchers tied, I think, than they ever have in the history of their franchise. When you're in little big names, little small names, we know who they are. That that's a difficult proposition. So of course, who gets off to a bad start? The two are two bigger names, Chatwood and Darvish, right? So I, maybe I should have held back, or we all should have on the start, because you're asking so many of these arms to come through on a new team. All this stuff in play, it didn't work out in April. I blame Darvish and Chatwood mostly. Quintana, who's kind of still new a little bit, um, wasn't great early on also. So April is what it is. I think they finally found their stride a little bit on Memorial Day. It took that long. Remember the Sunday night game, I've mentioned this before, going into Monday where they had to fly to Pittsburgh. They won Sunday night, surviving a bad Chatwood start, and then uh, flew to Pittsburgh, played a day game on Memorial Day, won that and had a good road trip. I thought they found their, their best stride then, and that lasted a while, um, maybe until recently, you know, beating the Dodgers two out of three. Yeah, there were some starts and stops along the way, but they played better baseball since Memorial Day. Then these injuries started to pile up. Carl Edwards shortens your bullpen, starts to put some more pressure on other guys. Morrow starts to put some – now Morrow's only been a few days, but, right. again, adds, adds to the pressure and everything else. Um, and this is also an offense that's trying to transform itself. I mean, it's staring us right in the face, Fred. This was a power-hitting strikeout offense. Now they've given up all their power. They strike out less. They're hitting more opposite field base hits. But, you know, it's not a complete offense just yet because you want both. You want more power, and you want that small ball aspect where you can go the other way or score runs without. So, it's still in transformation. It's it's not necessarily any better than last year right now. It's just different than last year because, again, they're at the top of the league in runs scored, and I know there's fluctuation within that. Right. So, so that's different, yet the results are the same. They want to get to a point where they're hitting, scoring runs with home runs and power. Anyway, so we get to this point of the season. This is, this is kind of – and someone pointed this out to me on Twitter. You know, they've had some bad Junes right before the All-Star break in 16, you know, when things started to go south. And then last year in June. Now, last year was the hangover, first of all. Second of all, in June, they had injuries. They fielded at one time the youngest team, uh, the youngest team to field, uh, youngest uh, World Series winner. Okay. That's what they fielded last year. Coming off the World Series since the, the, the Florida Marlins when they sold off their team in, like, 97. Because at one point last year, they had all these guys down, and they were fielding a very young team, the youngest for a World Series champion. So the bottom line is, and then now this year, four games in Cincinnati here, three time zones in L.A., two more time zones back to Chicago, no day off. You're going to play Minnesota when you get back. I, I was telling Waddle and Sylvie, I think you're going to be 500. And I don't know where the wins and losses are going to come from. It's going to be a little up and down, and already they're 0-2 during this little stretch here. But I think it is still setting up for another second-half run. Um, I thought they should have gotten off to a better start, as I mentioned, but they're still in decent position. I think they will play better in the second half. And, and the last thing is I do think it's a weird season for them when they are first in offense, basically. They've been fluctuating with the Braves, right. runs per game. First in offense, first in pitching, first in defense. And yet they're still kind of not exactly where they should. That screams 20 over 500 in first place. Instead, they're 11 over and in second place. So there is something weird there, mostly probably with the offense, because in losses they haven't given them a chance 
to win some of those close games. I think that's why they're seven and twelve in one run games. So a lot of that in play there for the first half, but I do think they're still going to be okay in the second half. So that's my state of the union address for the Cubs. A three one two three three two three seven seven six. Jesse Rogers from Cincinnati. Fred Hubner with you. Murph's got the day off. Let's go to the phones. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. Chicago Heights Mike. Mike, you're on ESPN one thousand. What's going on this morning? Hey, yeah. Well, good morning. Uh it's actually a Good morning, uh, but last night was ridiculous. The last two and one-third innings, I was checking out the strikeouts. The top of the order in the last two and a third innings struck out five times. And Justin Wilson doesn't belong in baseball. This guy can't do anything right. If he did everything right in where he was from, Kansas City. He's right. Go back. <laughs> go back. Go back there. If go back, keep going west to the Pacific Ocean and Jesus. have a nice day. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate the call. Yeah. Uh, man, Brizzo was awful last night. Yeah. Both of them. 0 for 8. Three strikeouts. All three by Brian. And weird stuff in the field by Rizzo. It, they... Wow, that was one of the worst combined games I've seen from them. Well, and you know, yesterday Bryant was hitting leadoff, and uh, we talked earlier uh, about him, and you know, we talked so much this year, not only here on the show with Murph, but uh, everybody on the station, everybody in Chicago about the leadoff man and not having a leadoff man. I know Jed Hoyer mentioned it. They still, since Fowler's left, they really haven't had a leadoff guy. It's been different. They've been changing things around. So I looked today just for the heck of it to see what Chris Bryant is doing in the leadoff spot. You'd be surprised. He's nine for 28 batting leadoff. Uh, this may or may not include last night. I, I printed it up this morning. Hitting 321. Batting number two, he's hitting 327. Um, with six homers and 19 RBIs. Hitting third, he's hitting just 235. So we all talk about wanting, wanting him to hit third with runners on base. And right now, hitting third, he's got the lowest average of, of either of the three spots he's hit in. Yeah. He, I, don't, he, I don't know what to make of that. It's no, I don't either. But, I mean, you know, and he struck out. I know that we've got a cut with him talking about last night and how uh, the pitcher was pretty tough for Cincinnati. And he was throwing a, uh, a changeup. He was striking out. He had at least three or four strikeouts in the first couple innings with that changeup yesterday. And Bryant got caught on one of them with his uh, three strikeouts on the day yesterday. And, you know, I don't. I don't care really about where he, where they bat in the order. I kind of like the Bryant leading off. It doesn't bother me. I know the whole thing. Get your best hitter up as many times as possible. Boom, boom, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And since nobody's really hitting like crazy right now, it's fine. The best hitter on the team right now is Zobris. You know why, Jess? And I've said it over and over again. Zobris does what Joe Mann has been screaming for. Just put the ball in play. Move the ball around. Get the bat on the ball. And Zobris does that all the time. Yeah, he's been really good. We should get point out Al Morris hitting 318. Right. Though he doesn't play every day, but whatever. He is hitting 318. You got to give him credit for that. But Zobris gives you the best at bat still. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you about Brian. I, it doesn't really matter to me where they bat. I mean, Jed Hoyer will. I mean, Jed and Theo know what they're doing, and so does Joe. And Jed will tell you is the most over analyze thing, the batting order. Right. Put your best hitters at the top. Put your worst hitters at the bottom. Maybe go left, right, left, right, or right, left, right, left. And, you know, obviously if you had a Dexter Fowler from 15 and 16, you'd put him up there to set the table. They don't have that. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, 
I wanted to do a segment. I didn't. I didn't get, have time to write it down. But you know, you know, what's a myth and what's real? And I mean, there's there's half the teams in the NL um, change up their lineup more than Madden, and half don't. He's right in the middle this year, and he and he changed up the lineup a lot in 15 and 16, and they won. And if he didn't have 10 quasi starters, position players. If if the bench was just like Tommy Lastella's, then he would change up the lineup less. Right. But Theo, on purpose, gave him extra starters. Um, and plus, Joe believes in rest anyway. And it's been proven out. I wrote a book about it. I yes, wrote a chapter did. in a book about it. <laughs> he, he's 45 games over 500 in August. I think that's before last year where they were over 500 again. So all that's in play. They're not struggling because the lineup has changed. They are not. Read my lips from afar. They are not struggling because the lineup is different every night. Simple as that. You know, you look at the on-base percentage for the Cubs, and we'll get right back to the phones, 312-332-3776. The top three on-base percentage guys for the Cubs, Chris Bryant, 383, Zobras, 382, and Schwarber, 366. They've all hit leadoff at times for the Cubs. You've got Bryant there now, Schwarber, after last year's experiment. You probably won't put him back there uh, much at all. Uh, and, then, and then Zobrist. I mean, those are the three guys that get on base. So if you want a guy at the top of the order who's going to get on for the other guys, those three guys, any one of those three, are fine with me. And, mm-hmm. and I understand that. Right, exactly. It's just trying to find some combination that might click. I mean, Look, you have to come up with an order, and you and 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 you you don't want to pick out of a hat. So no. you so you come up with some edge. You just okay, righty, right, left, right, left. That's one thing to use. Um, if I put Brian at leadoff, maybe he'll get more pitches to hit because no pitcher wants to walk the leadoff man. It just that's nobody wants to do that. So you you come up with you, you try different things. Um, ultimately, Zobrist is probably the best candidate, right? Um, for for the obvious reasons. But uh, since you brought up on base, uh, let me just remind everybody a stat that I've been talking about over the last week. Uh, for 13 seasons in a row, the National League team, and I haven't even looked up the AL, it might be the same there. The National League team that led the league in on-base percentage has made the postseason as a wild card or division winner. That is not the case for the team that led in ERA. That is not the case for the team that led in home runs. That is not the case for a team that actually led in runs scored. On-base percentage has the direct correlation to the playoffs for 13 straight years. The Cubs lead the NL by six points right now. Um, just a few days ago, they led by 12 points, but yeah. they've struggled the last couple of days, so it's down to six. Uh, they've led the league and on base the last two years. So if they do again, there's a good chance they're going to make the postseason. But it does underscore what I said earlier. The record should be better with all these good things happening in the within the numbers. But we know numbers don't tell the complete story. Well, yeah. Also, uh, we keep talking about the Cubs and how they're not doing what people expect. Just so you know, and I know you know this, through 73 games last year, they were 37 and 36. That was one game over 500. This year, they're 42 and 31. That's 11 games over 500. So despite the fact that Cub fans and even the Cubs are not happy with the way they're playing on a consistent basis, they're way ahead of where they were last year. Well, yeah, but I'll push back on that because okay. they should be way ahead of last year. Last year was... a was going to be a wash no matter what the I'm telling you Joe it's arguable that Joe Madden's best managing job was last season you can argue that now in 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 reality in my mind it was 15 17 then 16 it, which is crazy because they won the world series but you can argue that because I'm telling you I was with the Blackhawks after they won their first championship in what like 50 years 
and the next season they struggled as the eighth seed because it's it's the hangover. That's real. Now, last year, they went through the 108-year drought, win the World Series, and then the shortest offseason in Major League history comes right after the Cubs break that cursed drought. What There was no chance they were going to play well out of the gate. None at all. The fact that they made the postseason, to me, was amazing. And I thought Joe managed brilliantly last year. I know a lot of people will disagree. But to compare this year to last year, no. Let's compare this year to 16, and we'll say that they're behind. Yeah, because so they we were can, red hot we, at the start of the but, season but, and 16. But in, uh, but in reality, they should probably be around, around here because 16 – was a continuation of 15. They're climbing that mountain to win the World Series, and nothing was going to stop them. They do it. Last year was the hangover year. It's a wash. They still got pretty far. So this year should be somewhere in between. They should be better. But it is a reminder. It is even tougher to stay on top as it is to get there. And we are seeing this. We are seeing this play out. And don't forget what Theo and Jed and everybody has said. We want to make the playoffs seven or eight years out of ten, right. which means two or three years you're not going to make them. And since they've done it three in a row, well, there's a chance they may not, whether it be this year or next year or the year after. So you can't act like this is supposed to be easy. It's not. And they are underachieving to a certain extent, but not by ten games, you know. No. They are underachieving by a little bit. Yeah, Jesse Rogers in Cincinnati, uh, the Murph and Fred Show. Murph's got the day off. Jesse joining us for the show in Cincinnati. The Cubs take on the Reds again, looking for a win in Cincinnati. It'll be Luke Farrell getting the start. Don't forget, callers hang in there. We'll get to you. And also, we hope to be talking with Brandon Hyde, the bench coach of the Cubs. We come back. Jesse Rogers, Fred Hubner, 312-332-3776, right here on ESPN 1000. Fred Hubner along with Jesse Rogers. Jesse's in Cincinnati. Murph's got the day off today. He'll be back next week. We are talking some Cubs baseball, a lot of baseball throughout the show today. Jesse, stick around. I mean, not Jesse, stick around. Well, Jesse, you can stick around too, but the callers stick around. We're going to take a quick little break, not from Cubs baseball. We're going to talk even more Cubs baseball as we are happy to have Brandon Hyde, the uh, bench coach from the Chicago Cubs, joining us here on ESPN 1000. Brandon, thanks a lot for jumping on in. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you coming on, even though Jesse did ask you. You probably saw him coming. You probably wanted to turn the other way. Actually, he did turn the other way. He did turn the other way. Before- I was. Uh, I had an errand. I had an errand to run in the clubhouse, and uh, so I'm sorry if I uh, blew you off for a minute there. No, that's okay. You know, you're you're just lucky. I'm I'm staying at the team hotel. You're lucky I didn't put you in the cab with me to come the 12 miles north of downtown to sit in the studio. We're letting you do it from your hotel room. Of course, with the day game today, you're going to be very busy soon, so we appreciate you coming on. Well, absolutely. Actually, I'm just jump, jumping out of the cab here, uh, super lazy this morning, even though I got lucky and it started to rain. Uh, believe it or not, it's raining here uh, yeah. again. So, um, Surprise. Uh, yeah, no problem. You know, I want to I want to ask you, Brandon, before Jesse starts grilling you like Jesse's wanted to do. Um, a game like last night, I mean, a lot of the Cub fans, you saw how you guys played against the Dodgers here, and then you go to Cincinnati. And in the mind of Cub fans, they look at the standings, they see the Reds at the bottom of the standings. You go to Cincinnati, and uh, two games in a row, some struggles. Uh, obviously, the fans get upset. 
But as a coach and even the players, you guys really, this is just one game at a time. I know it's a silly, antiquated phrase, but for you guys, with 162 of these, you can only take it that way, right? One game at a time? Yeah, you try your best to. You know, it's a it's a six month season, um, and it's a, it's a it's a long grind, and and we've had our moments uh, positive and and some moments where we've struggled. Um, you got to remember that this Cincinnati Reds ball club has can swing the bat, and they've always been able to swing the bat. And that middle of the order with Joey Votto and Suarez, uh, you know, they can hurt you. And uh, last night we made. Couple mistakes didn't score enough runs, and they got us last night. Yeah, I mean, I, it doesn't bother me when you lose to the Reds as opposed to losing to anyone else. I mean, that that's baseball. You can lose to anybody at any time. I, I'd love to to pull back. I mean, you're there watching everything. You're watching the offense. You're watching the defense. You're watching the pitching. You guys are 11 games over 500. But I wonder if you look at the stats or you guys talk about it and, and feel like it has been a little, for lack of a better word, a weird season, Brandon. Because if you look at it. You have been at the top of the league in runs scored per game, the top of the league in ERA, the top in defensive efficiency, maybe not fielding percentage, but but defensive efficiency, which is a good stat. You're number one there as well. Like the numbers are amazing, but of course the game isn't played, you know, just you know, we don't we you can't determine wins and losses just by stats, but do you find it maybe a little it's been a little weird, like maybe you guys should be better based on some of those numbers? Well, I mean, I think you know, all those numbers are great, and we're happy to be at the top of all those. I mean, the bottom line is the standings for us, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, the run differential and all these things that I see how great we're doing, that's, that's fantastic. But the bottom line is, you know, right now we're two games out. Um, we're, we're behind the Brewers. We're in a tough division. we got to start playing a little more consistent baseball. I think we're going to. Um, we love our team. We love the, the possibilities that could come with our club. So that's what matters the most to us. You know, Brandon, I'm I'm an old-time baseball guy. I'm a lot older than all of you guys. Um, but in baseball, it used to be played a different way. Uh, you're a former director of player development, and obviously you know the, ga- the way the game used to be played, you know, basically the way Ben Zobris plays it. Put the bat <laughs> in the ball, hit the ball in the different fields, do things like this. Yeah. Now it seems like it's walks, strikeouts, home runs. How have you, as a guy that was a, a director of player development and now a coach, how have you been able to adjust to this? Because it's a different game than it used to be. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I mean... I spent one year as director of player development. The rest of year, my years is coaching. So I'm more in the coaching field and the side of, you know, it's there's the game is definitely different. And I think Joe's touched on it a lot over the last couple of years. And that you know we would like our guys to move the ball more. We would like our guys to situationally hit. Um, and those type of things still matter in this game. So the strikeouts are up, the home runs are up, and all that's fantastic. Um, there is, you know, those best overs types that get you the big hit, move the baseball, um, can hit and run. Those type of things help you win ball games as well. You know, you guys, you mentioned the home runs that those are down actually, but some of the other stats are better. You're hitting to the opposite field. Are you guys trying to just find that balance still? I mean, who doesn't want a home run? But obviously, you don't want to be swinging for the fences all the time. It, it does feel like this offense is still trying to find some balance. Absolutely. I think, you know, we have guys that have had our high moments and low moments so far this year, and we're trying to find just some consistency. Um, it's, tough. it's tough. I mean, the pitching has, pitching is really good in the big <laughs> leagues. Bullpens are really good in the big leagues. Pitching, the guys are pitching the reports. They're more advanced now than they've ever been. 
So, you know, I think our, our offensive players, which are mostly young players, are still kind of going through early career moments where they're still trying to find some consistency in their swings, in their approaches. And I think as the course of the season, those, that's going to turn around a little bit for some of these guys, and, and they're going to take off. I'm Brandon Hyde, the Cubs bench coach. Another couple minutes here on ESPN 1000. Jesse Rogers in Cincinnati. Fred Hubner with you. Um, your job as the bench coach, it seems like, are you the guy that always is grabbing the phone to check on, on replays? That's all I do. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> well, no, the, the, reason I, the, re, the reason I asked is yesterday was a situation really early in the game that Joe was a little upset because there was a play at first base yeah. on a tag play. The first base umpire didn't call it because he couldn't see it. The home plate umpire called it. Is that exactly what Joe was upset about because he didn't want to use a challenge that early? Well, a little bit. I mean, the bottom line is the guy made the call from 90 feet away um, with the same angle that we have that, you know, it's really hard to tell. So to be able to change the call or to ask for help on that call, uh, Joe just thought it was probably not the right thing to do at that point. Um, then, yeah, then, so then we had a challenge. And, uh, and fortunately, they got, they got the, well, the correct uh, call. But, yeah, Joe at that moment just didn't think that that was – the way you asked for help when the play was far away from the home plate umpire. He had a pretty funny line. It's like he was talking to the umpire after the decision was made, and he said, we'll talk later. And it's like on TV they were saying, <laughs> they were saying we'll meet you outside. Joe's going to meet the umpire outside. It was pretty funny that Joe said, well, we'll talk later about this play. Yeah, yeah, it was well, very funny. I didn't read that, but yeah. Uh, no, I don't think that they met up, but... Uh, yeah, it was an interesting play for sure. Yeah, it would have been better if the ump uh, made no call at all, which, of course, they can't do, and just let replay make the call. Because, obviously, once the ump makes the call, then it then the burden goes to the other side to prove that it, it's not right. It has to be conclusive. I think that's what Joe was upset about. Uh, he, couldn't lo- he could have lost his, his challenge if the replay wasn't conclusive. The other job of, of any bre- uh, a bench coach, of course, Brandon, is is lending an ear to, to the players, you know, um, when when things are a little bit frustrating, do you do that a lot with with especially the hitters when when they're having their moments or what, what what's that relationship relationship like with you and and the players now that you're in the on the bench instead of the first base coach? Well, I've had you know I I've known these players a lot of these players a long time. Um, I remember as when I was minor league field coordinator, Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras, Albert Amor, and Abel. So I've had a relationship with the majority of these guys. Um, since 2002 or three. Wow. Um, I'm sorry, 2012. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, right. Yeah, not three. That'd be <laughs> a little early. Um, yeah, 2012. So you know, I've been in the big league staff here with four, for four years. Is this fourth or fifth year? Um, and so I know these guys so well at this point, and I have a great relationship with with all of them. Um, but yeah, they need people to talk to. I mean, this is a tough business it's a it's a grind of a season um it's an emotional deal so to have someone there to just have someone there to listen and to kind of go through the things that they grow go through on a daily basis uh it's it's important and so i'm always there for any of these any of our guys love all the guys um that need to be to talk or just want to have some honesty maybe thrown at them at times um all different sorts of things so it's a it's a it's a interesting job and, and fun at the same time. Before we let you go, give us one dugout insight. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you rolling here. Who's the most emotional in the moment after maybe a, a poor at bat or whatever the case may be? I'm gonna I'm gonna say because I've seen it. 
I'm going to say Javi. Javi gets a little upset. You might a bat might t- go to a, uh, a cooler or, or or the bat rack or something. Um, I've seen Javi get upset, and actually in the L.A. last year, I'm sure you remember Brandon. Uh, he I think he threw his bat, almost hit the cameraman, and Joe made him go apologize and stuff. But I'm going to go with Javi as emotional. But I'm sure there's other guys too. I'm going to go with John Lackey. Oh, wait, that's last year. Um, that was just John. La- John Lackey was just at me personally because I would do the outfield positioning, and if a ball dropped in, I was ready to wear it when he came off the field. Um, <laughs> that is not surprising. That is not surprising. <laughs> no, great, great man, close friend of mine. Uh, no, I mean all these guys have their moments for sure. There's always, there's always, there's snapping moments um, with every single one of them at times. Um, some a little more than others. Some a little more frequent than others, but you know I think you can see on TV kind of what it is. And yeah. there's I'm not going to pinpoint one guy that's over emotional than another, but I think everybody has a snapping moment after a tough strikeout or an error or something that didn't go their way. That uh, you know it's it's being a human being. Let me just follow up, and I guess the the the, the uh, strategy at that point is steer clear in the moment, let him get it out, and then maybe <laughs> and then go approach when things calm down, that kind of thing. There is certain guys that I know that I back off a few steps just in case uh, <laughs> there's something coming my way. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, t- you take cover at times. Brandon, we appreciate you jumping on. We'll let you get to the ballpark. Hopefully it stops raining. You guys can get a couple of victories before you head to L.A. to make the flight a lot sweeter. No doubt. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks Brandon. Brandon. Brandon Hyde, the Cubs' first base coach, used to be the Cubs' first yeah. base coach, now the bench coach for the Cubs. We're going to get back and uh, get to your phone calls. A bunch of people jumping on in. We'll talk about the North Sider. Some really good uh, opinions coming up here on ESPN. Well, 1000. Yeah, I mean, Fred, everybody yells at me on Twitter, so let's do it on the radio now. Yell at me on the radio. Well, and by the way, here's the guy that you said, Javi. I'm going with Wilson Contreras. Because... Yeah, I only said Javi because I've seen it. Okay. I, you know, and I obviously can't see the dugout. Like All the time, you, right? Well, yeah, like you guys on TV probably see it more. Yeah. But I've seen it a couple times with Javi. I'm sure there's other guys that are they're emotional. Yeah, Contreras is, uh, is, yeah. is an interesting guy. Hey, are you looking for that neighborhood gem of a restaurant? You know the place with a cozy atmosphere and impeccable menu. Not an easy find. Well, here's some advice. Go with experience. Vincitori, that's right, Italian cuisine served in a casual trattoria setting in the heart of Westmont, Illinois. Now, Vincitori's menu features exquisite pasta, seafood, steaks, veal, chops, and salads, all freshly prepared daily featuring owner and chef Bob's individual style. Chef Bob makes the absolute best grilled calamari. You can't go there and not have it. Head to Vincitori tonight. Feast on some incredible Italian dishes paired with tantalizing wine. For reservations, info, and salivating photos, head to Vincitori. That's V-I-N-C-I-T-O-R-I dot com. Jesse's in Cincinnati. Fred Hubner with you here. Murph's got the day off. He'll be back next Saturday. Back to your calls right after this on ESPN 1000. Welcome back in. Murph and Fred show. Murph's got the day off. Jesse Rogers in Cincinnati. Going to be with us throughout the morning. It's nice to talk to Brandon Hyde, the bench coach of the Cubs. Jess, now let's talk to some of the listeners. They jumped on. They were nice enough to hang in there during sure. the interview. Let's. We got Bob Nightingale from USA Today coming up. He's got some great, great stuff in an article he wrote the other day about baseball and some of the problems they're having right now on the field. Let's go to Gurney first. And James, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, James. Hey, Freddie, what do you say, Jess? How's it going out there in Cincy, Bubba? Well, cloudy, rainy, same as always with the Cubs. 
I'm not going to yell at you. I mean, I call all the time. It's a real, hey, Freddie, it's real James from Gurney. I've been calling for like 10 years. i got a couple of posters out there, but we'll leave it at that. Cool. Hey, here, here we go. So 15, obviously. Wow. What happened? 16. Last year, I got caught up, Jess. Fred, I got caught up in the crap. My whole point is is that I'm finally able to relax, sit back, and realize that Madden's going to make me pull my hair out. <laughs> Some of the decisions and the lineup changes and what it comes down to me, this team has the talent that's going to take, and they have that special thing with the championship team. Just like everyone said, the Warriors weren't going to – they're not going anywhere. They lost by 40, 20. Same kind of attitude. But what kind of sometimes irks me, guys, is their attitude. Like, the Astros will rip your head off. Where's their letdown? They have a demeanor that if we're going to beat you, we're not just going to beat you. We're going to pop your head off and kick it down the line. I'm being – Sometimes I just see, like, Wilson Contreras has the attitude sometimes that is just like, that guy wants to win. I think sometimes. I'm just saying, I'm finally able to relax and watch this. Three NLCSs in a World Series, I'm finally able to relax. Day to day, I get a little fired up at talking points. and get. But I understand. But at the end of the day, where is the attitude? Like, grind your teeth, and we're not losing two out of four of the Reds. I know it's a long season. Just sometimes I'm looking for that. We're the Chicago Cubs. And we're better than you, and we're going to beat you. Love you guys, and uh, good job out there, Jeff. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I know. I, I kind of understand what he's saying. It's it's not so easy in baseball, but I will say uh, that I've had conversations. There there could be a little edge missing in that locker room. Think about the guys that have gone the last few years. And yes, David Ross had an edge to him when it came to baseball and poor play and stuff. So they lose Ross, they lose Montero. We know he had an edge. They lose Lackey, we know he had an edge. And I'm not saying they should have brought back Lackey. I'm just, you know, they've lost the edgy guys, and that could have an effect over time. I don't think it's enough to derail a season, but I get it. I get it. There might be They might be missing that guy that's going to kind of go off after a game, or after a bad stretch, after a bad loss, whatever the case may be, Fred? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. And I think a lot of it comes with the pitching. I think that when Lester's out there, it seems like when he's out there and he's just you know, shutting him down inning after inning after inning, they have that a little bit. I think when the other pitchers are out there, I think the pitchers basically set the tone. If the pitchers go out there and are retiring guys, I think they have it sometimes in these Montgomery starts. But when you have Chatwood out there and he's walking guys and Quintana, you're not so sure about things. You know, it, it seems like it's not there. I think and a Darvish lot of it, and even Hendricks at times. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the pitchers. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're certainly right about the Leicester starts. There's no doubt yeah. that team has a attitude and it's uh, when he's out there, but it starts with him. Yeah, it does. Let's go to Asheville, North Carolina. Rob, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Rob. Hey, guys. Love the show. Uh, one of my comments, huge Cup fan, obviously, even after the Great World Series, which changed a lot of our emotional lives, you still find yourself scrutinizing the team. I think where I've come to a point is, you know, some of the guys that we love that we like, oh, I can't wait to see these guys in the lineup, maybe are who uh, are they, who they are. In other words, Schwarber, love him. He's clearly with 15 homers and 40 RBIs. I think he has one of the stronger wars in left, uh, left fielders. But these guys are now who becoming they are, and they're not as good as I think we are. Like Chris Bryant, love the guy. The RBI total last year was, for what he did, was abysmal. Strikes out a lot. Still a great player. We take him, but... The bigger question is, we know the All-Star game and the Pro Bowl and these things are kind of sometimes jokes. That year, I think it was 2016, almost every Cub, Addison Russell might have been a throwing, was was an All-Star. But they were legitimately All-Star. You look at the team this year, and even though their batting average may be leading the National League, there's, you know, uh, Almora, uh, Javier Baez, John Lester, maybe you think about uh, Morrow. That's not a lot for a team. You know, if you were thinking guys that should be in the consideration if it wasn't a fan vote, 
that's kind of indicative of where we are. So I think a lot of times as fans, we put guys in a certain position, and the Cubs are a very good team, but I think why they're in this kind of you know middle ground or just above average is the guys aren't maybe performing as well as we thought they would be. And, you know, I think Rizzo's going to hit 30 points higher than he is right now, and that's a big deal. But, you know, some of the other guys, I think it's who they what they are, and we just have to kind of realize that and maybe as we make some changes. And I still think trading somebody just addition by subtraction will be a good thing for the future of the team. But uh, you know, still support them. But some of these things have been going on for a while, and, you know, we just kind of have to – Accept them. Hopefully, you know we can make some minor changes throughout the next few years with the, with the lineup. Yeah, that, that's an interesting call, and I, I can't disagree with all of that. But and it goes back to what I said, Fred. It it, it is been a weird season. He's right. You're at the top of the rankings and all these things. Yeah. Yet we can only find one legitimate All Star, and that's and that's Lester. Maybe Almora is kind of a backup. You know that kind of thing, um, and he's right. Maybe Moro, but but you think you'd find more for a team eleven over that's first in all these categories. And it is weird. I don't think we know who they are as hitters, though. That's where I will disagree. They had so much success as a, a, a at a young age. Now maybe the league caught up with a few of them. On top of it, and here's the big thing: they are trying to transform their offense because it was all power. Now they're trying to go opposite field and play a little more small ball, and they've given up some power. I don't think there's any doubt. I wrote about it a couple weeks ago. Bryant's homers are down. Wilson's yep. homers, Contreras' homers are down. Russell's homers are down. Um, Schwarber's are, are okay. Not everyone is down. Um, so I do think they're still evolving as an offense and as individuals. So let's let's see how this thing plays out. The fact that they get on base as much as they do, I think, is the best thing about this team and best predictor for this team. Jesse Rogers in Cincinnati. Fred Hubner here in the ESPN studios looking out onto uh, cloudy skies. But you know what? It's uh, nice, and there's no rain here. We send it all to Cincinnati. Hopefully it stops <laughs> in time to catch the game. We come back. We'll be talking with Bob Nightingale from the USA Today. Also, caller, caller Joe, hang in there. We'll get to you before we go to Bob because everybody's got a point on the, the Cubs. we got a lot of Cub baseball talk. We'll get into some White Sox stuff, too, next hour. It's Jesse and Fred here. Murph's got the day off here on ESPN 1000. Fred Hubner along with Jesse Rogers in Cincinnati. The Murph and Fred Show. Murph will be back next Saturday. The Cubs are in Cincinnati hoping to get one. Is this supposed to rain all day there, Jess, or just a little bit? No, just a little bit, maybe during batting practice. It rained during batting practice yesterday for the Cubs, and they didn't uh, weren't able to take any. The Reds did. The Cubs did not. Maybe the Cubs need it. Yeah. Uh, but it might <laughs> rain again during batting practice, so uh, the baseball god's not... Not uh, shining, shining literally on the Cubs right now, uh, but I think by game time it'll be clear. In fact, uh, there, it hasn't rained at all during the first two games, which is a surprise because it was supposed to. Yeah, it was. It was pretty sunny when they went to it yesterday. The Reds a six three win over the Cubs yesterday. Uh, Quintana falling to five and eight, and um, the Cubs with just four hits. So you need more than that in the game of baseball, and unfortunately, in round baseball. There are teams that aren't getting a lot of hits, and that leads us to our next guest, Bob Nightingale from the USA Today. He did a great article the other day, the headline, There's No Ducking the Numbers, MLB Has a Bad Baseball Problem That's Only Getting Worse. Bob, how are you today? Yeah, doing great. Thanks, Fred. Unbelievable article, and I just wanted to start off the very beginning. You talk about it's a shame Eddie Goodell isn't with us anymore. <laughs> my uh, my buddy 
is Eddie Goodell's nephew. So he actually has the bat, and they donated the bat to the Hall of Fame and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was a cool article to read at the very beginning. But I went through this article, and I just kept shaking my head at some of these numbers. I know Jesse saw it, too. It's amazing how bad baseball really is right now. They do have a problem with with, with strikeouts, and, and, and um, just it's so bad. Nobody's hitting the ball, it seems, right now. No, I mean, uh, you know, we're going to have more strikeouts and hits for the first time in baseball history. I mean, we've already had it the first couple months of the season, so we'll have it again in June. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's you know, getting ugly. It's like a uh, Sunday slow-pitch softball game, you know, home run, home run strikeout walk. Uh, you know, the, the one stat that's unbelievable is that, you know, they're going three minutes and 45 seconds between when there's actually action on the field, and that, that's troubling for baseball. Yeah, that's something that Theo Epstein brought up uh, the other day on this radio station. So, And he's on the competition committee, and I hadn't really heard it put that way. Uh, he said, I think it was 3 minutes 30 seconds. You said 3.45, but that's the average between action, I guess, is kind of the way that, that he put it. Uh, <laughs> so we know the problem, Bob. What's the fix? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, you talk to some umpires and more pitching coaches, and they think it's expand the strike zone, you know, even though it sounds kind of funny, but it's at least force guys to swing the bat. You know, I think what gets us frustrating, particularly when you have some big power hitters, is guys just to stand there and take walks all the time. Uh, you know, at least forces guys to swing the bat, put the ball in play. Yes. And I do think that teams have to start reinforcing the minor leagues. Hey, learn how to hit. Learn how to put the ball uh, the other way. Learn how to bunt. You know, it drives you nuts when they uh, – you know, young speedy guys come up and they can't lay down a bunt. Yeah, I, let me read this part of your article, which I liked. These days you're a hero when you take that pitch that's one-eighth of an inch off the plate and draw your walk, even though a mere ground ball would score the run. If you strike out three times but happen to mix in a walk, take a bow. I, 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 you're, and then you mentioned you know strikeouts. Uh, players used to be embarrassed. I remember interviewing Gary Sheffield, I don't know, a year or two ago about it. And, I mean, you, you look at the numbers of guys like him, they never, ever struck out more than they walked. Now it's complete commonplace, and you're right, there's no embarrassment attached to whiffing. Yeah, I want to say there's only just a, a handful, three or four guys actually have uh, walked more than struck out this year. Uh, yeah, it used to be embarrassing. I remember it was Kevin the Royals, and when Hal McCray was playing, he would bring a ball at Dome Perignon and whoever struck out 100 times in the season. You know, get him out of embarrassment. So it always happened, you know, late September. It was usually Steve Balboni. <laughs> so one time uh, we're in uh, at, at Fenway Park. It's a day game. They're facing Roger Clemens. Balboni has 96 strikeouts, and uh, McCray gives him the ball champagne before the game. And sure enough, Balboni strikes out four times. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wanted a drink. He wanted the free champagne. <laughs> Well, see, right. and, and, and Bob Nightingale from the USA Today joining us here on ESPN 1000. I just wanted to read two other things, and this is why I'm not sure that it's going to change, Bob. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, lowest batting average, 227 in all of baseball, 135 more strikeouts than hits, and they're in first in the National League West. The Brewers have sh- have been shut out a major league leading 10 times, produced a paltry 316 on base percentage, have grounded into more double plays than any team in the National League, and they're in first place in the NL Central. So a lot of these baseball teams, they may not seem the need to change, even though us as fans are watching it and not enjoying it. Yeah, and then they, uh, you know, I think the fans are starting to speak up, but the fact that they're not showing the ballpark, 
they're going to get three, four teams that are drawing 2,000 or more fans uh, per game this year. You know, 18 teams are down, you know, the rest are kind of flat. So you know, people, people are getting bored by the product. Yeah, that's that's really weird. I was in Pittsburgh on Memorial Day, Bob, and this is when the Pirates were still going okay and the weather was decent. This is Memorial Day, a day game holiday, and it was, I don't know, five, 7,000 people there. I could not believe it. And, I don't know, a cab driver or hotel worker is like, yeah, when they traded McCutcheon, everyone gave up. I'm like, really? It's It's one player even though the Pirates are doing well? So weird things like that are going on, but maybe you're right. It's the product. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I know MLB likes to say, oh, well, you know, we had terrible weather, which they did. But you, you got a team like Toronto, I and mean, that's the only team in all of Canada. They're down about 460,000 fans already this year. And they're, you know, they're, I'm not saying they're a good team, but they're not a horrible team. And they got a retractable roof, so weather's no problem. So you're having a, uh, things like that. I mean, I think we all saw it coming in Miami, you know, Tampa, Zimmer, Duran. But to see a place like Toronto collapse like that, that's, uh, that's stunning. And here's one more thing. I mean, we talk about pace of play, but I also think the length of games are are are, are part of an issue too. Uh, and you've heard this argument before. This this debate, like you know, people leave well before the game is over. I mean, the most important time of the game, the place is empty, meaning the end of the game. Now, I'm not just talking about blowouts. I'm talking about close games as well. Like I I do think there's like a limit to people's patience. It's amazing to me. I mean, I, I know people leave early to beat traffic in every sport, but you don't see an NBA arena half empty with two good teams going at it at the end of the game. And in, in, in baseball, you see that a lot. I feel like that, that the length of the game is also an issue at times. Yeah, yeah you're, you're absolutely right, Jesse. Particularly uh, extra innings. The game goes extra innings. People are bolting. Yep. And, uh you know, and I think Anthony Rizzo uh, brought this up, and Chris Bryant did something like a roundtable with him at the end of spring. And I, I think Anthony was the one who said, you know, we got one of the dullest, you know, overtimes where, hey, yeah. hockey's thrilling at three on three. You know, NFL is, is a blast, even, you know, NBA. But, you know, baseball, it seems like it can be drudgery when it goes to extra innings. Uh, Bob, are you for? I mean, you know, in the minor leagues, they're doing the thing where they're putting a runner at second base to start the extra innings. Uh, are, are you for that? Because when I first heard it, I said, you can't be changing the game like this. And then there was a game a couple weeks ago that the Cubs, I think it was the Cubs and Cardinals, wasn't it? Just where John Smoltz kept going on and on and on. This game just keeps going. They got to do something to change it. I just thought Smoltz had, you know, a golf, uh, you know, a tea time coming up <laughs> early the next morning. But what are your opinions of that? Should they consider, I mean, seriously consider bringing that rule to the major leagues. Yeah, I'm not for that, but it makes a but I'm a lot, you know less in favor of it than I was a uh, you know not as opposed I should say as I was a few months ago. And uh, you know, Jesse says those extra inning games too. It's like I think with the lack of offense, it makes it look so bad because you're thinking, my God, when's someone going to score? You know, nobody has any bench players because there's so many you know, relief pitchers. And uh, it, it's, it gets tough to watch. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Visiting with Bob Nightingale from the USA Today. So what are the easy fixes? I, I, I argue with people that that eliminating the shift would be my, my starting point uh, just because it's easy. It's, you know, put two guys on each side of second base, and someone brought up, well, once the pitch is thrown, then the shortstop will jump on the other side of second. I'm like, fine, let him do that, but at least – Start them there. That, that's that's the easiest fix to me. The the harder fixes are 
changing the the inherent you know rules of the game, meaning you know the amount of relievers you can use. Here's the bottom line, Bob. I think we can all identify where the problem is, and that's innings six through nine or six through eighteen. It's not innings one through five. You have star pitchers on the mound in those games. The action does move a little bit, or the pace does move, but from inning six on is where the problems occur. Um, so that's one big issue to address. But I, I at least think you know eliminating the shift could be could be an easy one. No, it would be. You know, like Bryce Harper says he thinks he should have seven inning games. And, you know, yeah. it sounds crazy. You know, go back to college. But to your to your point, Jesse, it's like that's when baseball is a bubble. And they don't, you know, you don't go nuts and you see blown saves. But, you know, we don't have the great lead changes like you do in the, uh, in, like we do in NBA games, even, even hockey and football. And that bothers, I know, Rob Manford. It's like these relievers are so good, it gets dull. Like, unless you have that lead going to six inning, you've got no chance to win. And that, that makes it very frustrating. You know, and, and you know, you're right about the shifts. So someone brought up to me the other day, a uh, executive of the Padres said, the trouble with the shifts is we don't see the great defensive plays anymore. Yeah. So if you're a Ozzie Smith, you know, you're not running, you know, 15 feet to go get a ball because it's a guy two feet to your left because of the shift. Right. You can't see those great defensive plays anymore. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you know, one of the things, and, and we get inundated with it all the time, and I know it's in your article too, exit velocities and spin rates and launch angles and catch probabilities. But I was so happy to hear that Mike Trout, which many people say is probably the best player in the game, he says the two biggest stats to me are runs scored and RBIs. He said, I mean, that's how you win games, right? Scoring the most runs. Uh, he's one of the few people that actually look at it that way. He probably has to convince his coaches of that because it seems everybody else is worried about the the other things, as you mentioned, you know, taking the taking the pitch and getting on base. Um, Mike Trout's worried about getting on base, and if people watch any of Mike Trout, and it's a shame, Bob, that he's on the West Coast because so few people get a chance to see him. But what he's done this past month is ridiculous. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was destroying him uh, last week. I was blown away by the stat he's never gotten more than two games in a row without getting on base. You know, wow. staggering. Yeah, that, that he's been that consistent. But you're right. I remember uh, years ago, John Lackey, was, when he was with the Cardinals, someone's asked him about some kind of sabermetric stat. He goes, listen, dude, I look at the scoreboard. That tells me how I pitched. <laughs> and people forget it's about who scores the most runs. Yeah, we, you know, we're exit velocity. We know that ball's been hit hard. We can see it with our own eyes. You know, we, we know what's a good catch. <laughs> No doubt about it, uh, Bob. Let's talk more on the field stuff. I, I know you haven't seen the Cubs that much. We're going to. Are you coming to L.A.? Is that where we're going to see you? I'm going to see you in the. Uh, where am I going to see you? The Bay Area, San Francisco. Oh, San Francisco. Anyway, um, I want to ask you about the Astros. They're fifty and twenty-seven, and if you look at some of these things, the Pythagorean, you know, numbers, predictive, whatever, they have. They should be six games better than they are. And that's the most in the in the in the majors. I mean, that's scary because of you know the the runs scored and runs given up. They're fifty and twenty seven, and the predictive models say they should be six games better. That that is amazing. They are a runaway train, aren't they? They are. I mean, they get you know two hit by the Royals last night, lose one zero. Yeah. But yeah, that pitching staff is so good. I know you know we always talk about the Maddox, Vlad, and Smoltz days Atlanta, but this, this staff one through five, you know, might be the the best of the generation. Uh, it, it's unbelievable how, how good they are. And I think that's one problem to a baseball is not the National League, but the American League. Yeah, we can set up the playoff schedule right now. I mean, they, uh, we don't know who's going to get the wild card uh, or who's going to win the East, 
but we know the Yankees and Red Sox will both be there. Houston will be there. Uh, you know, Clayman will be there. And then, just, you know, and Seattle should be, unless they collapse and the Angels overtake them. But, yeah, that's our problem. It's like we have some superpowers in the American League and nothing else. Well, and you look at it, too, Bob, in the American League, I just counted them. There's seven teams in the American League that are double-digit games behind the leader. There's just three in the National League. I mean, and and the West helps a lot, too, with the, you know, San Diego being just eight and a half games back of Arizona. But you look at Baltimore. They're 28 and a half games out. Uh, real quickly, back to uh, changes that could or might be made in the future. They'll never be made. But you know in minor leagues, they have a first half and a second half winner. Is it something... Any time in baseball, they might consider that in the major leagues. Because I'm just thinking, just imagine how cool that would be. There'd be trades before the before the you know the second half got underway. There'd be all kinds of cool things happening, um, and so you'd never have a team 28 and a half games out, or a team like Tampa in third, but 16 games back, 15 behind the team in second place. Yeah, you know, I, I could see something like that one day. You know, I don't know when that day would ever come. But, but I agree. I mean, if you're a Baltimore Orioles fan, you're going to have the race by the end of April. So why, why bother going to the games? You, know, you want to go to the games to see your team win. Uh, I, I could see something different like that. And I know different executives have, have, have spoken up. It just makes it more exciting for the fans because the season's so long. But yeah, the problem is the Orioles would be 28 games out twice, in the first <laughs> half and in the second <laughs> half. That's how bad they are. It's a good possibility. <laughs> Yeah. All right. <laughs> you're right. Uh, Bob, we appreciate you jumping on for a few minutes. Uh, you know, I know you're always looking forward to me- seeing Jesse. And, you know, so. Oh, yeah. Wait, I got to ask. Rank the steakhouses from <laughs> 1 to 100 across the country, Bob. Where would you put Chicago Cut? <laughs> I love that. that you know, I think that's, that's number one to me in a place called, uh, I don't even know if it's the same owner, Steak 44 in, uh, in Scottsdale is by number two. But, yeah, I love, I love Chicago Cut. Unbelievable place. Well said. Well said. You know your audience. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. We, <laughs> we appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Bob. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Take care. Bob Nightingale from USA Today. Great article again. There's no ducking the numbers. MLB has a bad baseball problem that's only getting worse. And, Jesse, the, the hits just keep coming. We go from Bob Nightingale. We go back out to Cincinnati. And uh, Jim Riggleman, the skipper of uh, the Reds, coming on with us right now. Jim, how are you today? Very good. Thank you. Thanks thanks for jumping on, Riggs. But, you know, you're talking to a Chicago Cub audience in Chicago, and they aren't happy with you. What, what are you doing to the Cubs? I mean, you, you won five in a row, eight and two in your last ten. You're ruining the party here. But I guess that's your job, right? Well, you know, the Cubs fan, is a, a, they're getting spoiled, you know. <laughs> they're uh, unbelievable what you guys have been doing the last couple of years. You know, the World Series and um, – you know, deep into the playoffs again last year. So um, it's it's a very good ball club. Um, the front office has done a great job over there putting the team together. Joe Madden's doing a great job, and uh, you know they're they're tough to deal with. We just we caught them on a couple days here where we we really played some good baseball, and um, you know if you if you play good, you got a chance. And and uh, you know we got them on our home field. and We had a couple good days. Hey Riggs, before we go back to these first two games. You you lived in Chicago. You managed there. You know what Cub fans are like. I mean, I would assume you're pretty thrilled for Cub fans as well as the organization when they finally broke that drought. Absolutely, I was really uh, rooting for the Cubs. You know, uh, and you know, a lot of times you're uh, you're in the position that 
that um, you're in baseball for so many years and you have some great friends and uh, people you respect a lot on, on other clubs. And um, for me, that's, that's the way it is in Chicago. You know, there's a lot of people over there uh, I have great respect for, and, and I love the fans there. Um, I was real, really thrilled that they uh, were able to do what they did. And, uh, you know, I feel that way about the Giants with my good friend Bruce Bochy. You know, I'm always, mm -hmm. uh, except when we're playing, I'm always pulling for the Giants. You know, you look at it, Jim, and you look at your your team, and everybody in baseball, when they think of the Cincinnati Reds, they think of one guy. And they think of Joey Votto. Votto again last night, two for three. He gets called out on a on a, uh, a strike that he thought was a little outside, and it was interesting. He didn't. He didn't, he wasn't upset. He just asked the umpire where exactly was that, and it was it was nice, calm, relaxed. But what is it like being able to pencil in a Joey Votto each and every day as your number three hitter and put him out at first base? It's it's really good. I mean, you know, it's kind of like when I had Mark Grace. Uh, Mark didn't did not miss games. He. He was out there every day, most consistent hitter on the ball club, uh, just as Joey is here. Um, and, and the thing they have in common is they both have great knowledge of the strike zone. And, uh, you know, uh, Joey had a little question about that pitch, but uh, he didn't argue much because I think he knew that, you know what, that one might have been there. And um, so, uh, but the core of your question is, yeah, it's a pleasure, you know, to be able to come to the ballpark and you know you've got to, a guy there, a left-hand hitter against right-handed pitching that's going to be a real real threat to the other club. Yeah, Grace didn't miss games. He also didn't miss many nights after games, so it was amazing <laughs> that he... <laughs> you, said, you said that, I didn't. Yeah, he would say it as well. Um, yeah, you know, I thought that was a strike, by the way, and I thought that was going to be the turning point. Quintana freezes Votto there, then he sailed through the next two innings. You know, sometimes... You, you get through that moment, and then you 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 know you you have an easy rest of your night. But that wasn't the case. Third time through the order for Jose Quintana has been an issue, and it popped up right on cue. The top of the order did the damage. Riggs, do you got you 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 guys see the numbers? You know that the uh, the OPS against him is a hundred points higher. Their third time through, right? You know what? It, it's I, I, you can't ignore the numbers. We we have the same situation here. We have so many of our guys who, whether it's the fifth or sixth inning, the third time through the lineup, uh, the, it, the game gets away from them, and it's it's just amazing. You know, the night before we happened to get uh, Hendricks in the sixth inning, and uh, our guys uh, do it constantly. It seems like we just played the Tigers and Fulmer, who just do a the cleanest five innings you could ever imagine and went out in the sixth and did not complete the six. We got to him in the sixth and it's, it's rampant in baseball right now. It's, um, it's something that uh, when you're managing the game, you have to be aware of that these high averages against guys in that third time through. And especially if you're, if you're all the way to the sixth and you're in that third time through these hitters seem to get these guys. Why do you think that is though, Riggs? Uh, any idea? <clears throat> I, I, you know what? I, I, don't I, I can't say that it's universal. There's a lot of people who say, well, that's the way pitchers are being developed now to not go deep into games. But a guy like Quintana is, has been uh, developed to go deep into games. Right. Hendricks has been you know, a guy who goes deep into games. So uh, it's, it's becoming tougher and tougher to pitch in the big leagues. It really is, you know, whether it's small ballparks or just the advancement that hitters have made. Hitters, you know, I know 
being an old-timer like myself and so many of us who have been around the game for a long time, we want to say the game was better in the past, but it is becoming harder to pitch to these hitters now than it ever was. Jim, we appreciate you jumping on for a few minutes. We know you're busy. you got a couple of games coming up in the next two days, and Cub fans are hoping they can absolutely take it, a couple. But uh, thanks for jumping on in for a couple of minutes. I know it was all Jesse. You just wanted to come on and talk with Jesse. <laughs> yeah, I love Jesse. All right. Thanks, guys. See you over at the park, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Jim, Jim Riggleman, the skipper of the Cincinnati Reds, and you know, he brought up, you, you asked the question I was going to ask, Jess, because, you know, there used to be where pitchers would go the distance or pitchers would go into the seventh or eighth inning. Now, you know, that's the, one of the biggest stats now is how a team does against a pitcher the third time through the lineup or vice versa, how the pitcher does against the team. And I, I have no idea why it is. Is it better scouting? Is it, you know, are the pitchers wearing themselves out early and not bringing their stuff late? I mean, that's the one thing about Verlander. If your Verlander's throwing 95 or 96 in the first couple innings, he's going to be throwing the same thing in the seventh. Maybe some of the other pitchers out there lose some of their, of their velocity, and that's why teams are catching up to him. Yeah, well, I'm totally confused because Riggs made a case for how tough it is to pitch in the big leagues when, you know, other people make a case how tough it is to hit in yeah. the big leagues. Joe talks about that often. And that all the advancements have favored the pitcher. The analytics, the video really favors the pitcher more. But for some reason, some of these pitchers can't get through a third time. Obviously, they show everything they have the first two times. But um, uh, I don't know. Everyone's there. That, that's what makes an ace an ace. Like Verlander, you know, John Lester, third time through the order, the numbers are almost identical as they are the first two times. That's what makes him special. You're right. That's what makes Quintana a number three, number four, whatever. He can't do it necessarily. Um, I don't know what the answer to any of this is. It's all very confusing. <laughs> Jess, we come back. We're going to go over the uh, questions we had earlier, the uh, Twitter poll questions, see how they're doing. Also, we got to talk a little bit of White Sox. we got a couple of callers on the line, 312-332-3776. If you've been yelling at Jesse on Twitter, now's your chance to yell at him kind of in person, Definitely. or at least, you know, live, you can do that. 312-332-3776. Fred Hubner, Jesse Rogers, here on ESPN 1000. Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner, back together on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Uh, Murph's got the day off. Jesse Rogers in with me today, actually in Cincinnati, sitting in, and uh, we were, we've already talked to Brandon Hyde, the bench coach of the Cubs. We talked to Bob Nightingale of the USA Today and Jim Riggleman, the skipper of the Cincinnati Reds. Now's your time to talk to Jesse. 312-332-3776. We'll get to some White Sox stuff probably in the 11 o'clock hour. Also, we'll get an MLB notebook around 1130. And after Jesse leaves, because he's got to get over to the ballpark, then I'll talk soccer because Jesse doesn't want to do that. Um, <laughs> you were right about everything you just said. I know. The Murph and Fred Twitter poll questions. We hit you with all four of them at the start of the show. Let's see how they are doing, Jess. Uh, the first one was who do the Cubs miss most? You Darvish, Brandon Morrow, or Carl Edwards Jr.? We bring in our guy, Eric Ostrowski. How's it going so far? It's actually very tight. So at the bottom with 15% is you Darvish. And then Edwards, Carl Edwards has 42%, and Morrow has 43%. So they're worried about that bullpen. Cub fans don't care that Darvish is a pitch. <laughs> nope. Because Montgomery's been great. That's You're right. right. You're right. And that'll come up in a minute. Now, besides John Lester, which Cubs player should go to the All-Star game? Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, or all of them? 
A runaway, 78% says Javi Baez, 9% says Rizzo, 13% Bryant. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that for okay. sure. Yeah, Javi, Javi belongs. Um, let's go to the third one. When you Darvish comes back, what do you do with Montgomery? Uh, back to the bullpen, the six-man rotation, or use the DL like the Dodgers did and then still have five starters, but one of them gets his uh, 10 days off. Okay, 12% at the bottom says back to the bullpen. 19% says use the DL like the Dodgers. And 69%, nice, says six-man rotation. Are you sure that wasn't Gronkowski doing that? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, the six-man rotation, Jess, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but that's uh, something Murph has been talking about for a long time. Back in the day, you know, they used to have just a four-man rotation. Now uh, they're talking about a possibility of a six. And Joe's done it before for short periods of time. Okay, now for the White Sox question. What should the White Sox do with Yohan Moncada? Uh, Let him learn in the bigs or send him to Charlotte? This one's tight. 54% to 46% saying, let him learn in the bigs. Hmm. Okay. It, it's it's difficult to watch, especially when he bats right-handed. Uh, maybe they should just take that right-handed uh, thing away from him because it's pretty bad. Uh, just uh, the six-man rotation. Uh, it is something I know it comes up often with uh, Joe, especially the way Montgomery's pitching, right? Definitely. And I, I think they're, go- they're leaning that way, though, um, to the All-Star break, I mean, right now it's busy, the schedule, but there's two off days the week of July 4th, uh, Monday the 2nd, Thursday the 5th, and another one July 12th. So you don't want John Lester, for example, sitting too long. So other than those that little time, I would go with the sixth man, especially out of the All-Star break. So maybe right before the break, you skip Chat. That, this is what I would do. I would skip Chatwood, give him a chance to figure things out without having to start a game five days later. Like, I think that's been insane, getting him to try to fix things as he's starting. I mean, yeah. it's tough to do that, but they've had to because they don't have much depth. But with two off days that week of July 2nd, I would skip Chatwood just one time. Then coming out of the break, I'd go with a six-man because that's when it gets busy. That's when a guy like Lester or even Hendricks could use the extra day. Um, yeah, there's more off days this season than in the past because of the new CBA. But remember, the Cubs have to make up some games from postponements. They play like 23 days in a row in late August into September. So I'd figure out what you want to do between now and, and I'd fudge my way between now and, and the All-Star break, you know, figure it out. But yeah. then out of the break, I would definitely go with six men. I like that idea. Jesse Rogers, Fred Hubner, let's get to the phones. 312-332-3776. The guy we were going to lead off with just hung up. If he wants to call us back, we'll get right back to him. We'll go to the north side and Robert. Robert, you're on ESPN 1000. What's happening? Hey, I want to this is a theory. This is a theory. How could you honestly say that you can probably end up in the playoffs where you only got one good pitcher in your staff, starting pitcher in your staff, and you got a bunch of maybes and probably nots. I mean, think about it. I mean, you actually believe that Shetwood and, and uh, uh, Quintana and Darvish, all these guys, they, I mean, really, you're trotting them out there every fifth day and you expect to win? Well, yeah. I, you look, I think they can get to the playoffs with these guys, but I don't. I, I, the bigger question is, can they win in the playoffs? We've seen Darvish blow up. We've also seen Darvish pitch well in the playoffs. I don't think Chatwood would be a pitcher in the playoffs right now. Um, we've seen Hendricks be amazing in the playoffs. We know Lester can be good. So, yes, they can win, and you would think a better version of Darvish is coming. If not, then the Cubs have some big problems over the next five and a half years. Yeah, they really do. Robert, we appreciate the, the call. The lineup is out, Freddie. Okay, let's hear it. 
Tommy Listella is leading off. Oh, my Lord. You, this is heaven for you. Yes, playing third <laughs> base. Chris Bryant getting another day off. His, uh, what, second one in, in about a week or something like that? I have to look back. But obviously, Bryant is struggling a little bit. You know, people have asked me about him getting beaned. I, I'm not buying it. He hit six home runs in right. early May after coming back. I could I could break it down. From the time he came back into mid-May, his numbers were fine. So unless he's having a... Uh, an effect, um, you know, a month after getting, be- you know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't buy it. Wouldn't he struggle right out of the gate after you think coming so. back? So right. I just think there's other things going on. Anyway, Listella batting, uh, uh, bat, uh, batting first, playing third base, followed by Jason Hayward, Zobrist at second, Rizzo, Contreras, Schwarber, Russell, Hap, Luke Farrell is pitching. So uh, Joe did forecast that Baez would have today off. Russell was off yesterday because his knuckle was bothering him. Elmore is off as Joe continues to rotate the lineup. And uh, Ian Happ is in center. Tommy at third. Chris Bryant sitting. That's kind of the biggest news of the day, I would think. Okay, when when he tells you, when Joe Madden tells you that a guy's going to have the day off, does he tell you that he's off for the whole game, or does he just say that he's not going to start? Not going to start. Okay. Not going to start. I mean, I, how can you say a guy's off for the whole game? You don't know. Well, that's what he said with the Bryant thing. He did say that yeah. with Bryant. Now, 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 there's, now, I and mean, that's the same that. game. Hold on, that's the same game. He also said Contreras was going to be off the whole game, well, and no, then he came in late but, no, and played he left. He didn't really say that before the game. He said that about Bryant after the game. Okay. Because how can you predict the guy's going to be off the whole game? I mean, forgetting injury, situations come up. Nobody. Let me just say this, and this is where I disagree with Joe. Nobody should be completely off the whole game. I mean, well, ahead I of time. I agree. Now, you could do your best to give him the day off. Right. But if the game dictates Chris Bryant to pinch hit for Chris Jimenez, you do it. Because being off for eight and two-thirds innings is is still <laughs> basically being off. Uh-huh. So I disagree with Joe on, on, that, on that stance. And I would imagine, well, I don't know about Bryant today. Maybe he is off the whole game. Or maybe there's, there, maybe there's an ailment there. Uh, but obviously, Chris Bryant is struggling um, there, every time it, it feels like he's coming out of it, he goes right back into his slump, and that's weird. That is weird for me to see. I, I, I always thought that his slumps would be short, and once he came out of it, he come, he'd come out of him for a while, and that has not been the case, and that might be the reason he's sitting today. Uh, 312-332-3776. Jesse, this sounds really stupid, but this is something I will ask you. Sure. Um, you remember the Sunday night game. You were there, so you probably didn't see it on TV when uh, Chris Bryant was with Alex Rodriguez, and he basically said where he likes the ball. He said, I like the ball like thigh-high, inner inner part of the plate. Uh, and then what happened in that game? The St. Louis pitcher threw him one right there, and he right. deposited it in the left field bleachers. But since then, that may be his only, I mean, probably not his only homer, but probably one of few. Should a ball player tell everybody where he actually wants the pitch to come in? It seems like people maybe will say, well, okay, he says this is where he wants it. We're going to avoid that spot as much as we can. It's a, it's not a bad point, but I would, I would probably say that the, the spray charts or whatever you want to call it, right. uh, the, the, his history, already indicates that he likes the pitch there. Like yeah. I would assume he's done his most damage on that pitch, so they already know it, right? Plus, it didn't sound like it was that amazing. Uh, I mean, a thigh-high inner half pitch. Who doesn't like that? Right. So, 
I understand what you're saying, but it, it, the, the the numbers should indicate that as well. And, and when I'm watching the, the game and I see him hit the ball, there's times where the pitch is on the way and you know he's going to hit it. I don't understand why anybody throws him anything below the waist. Um, because if it's below the waist, anywhere over the plate from the middle to the inside, he's going to hit the heck out of it. And he usually does. Like you said, right now he's struggling a little bit. And that's what uh, Brett out in Willowbrook wants to talk about. Brett, what's going on? Morning, guys. So, yeah, you know, Bryant obviously was a, a slugger coming up and hit 39 in 2016 and seemed like a guy that was going to hit, you know, 40 every year. And then you look at last year, he hit 29 in a year that home runs were way up. So, you know, that's probably more like 25 and, you know, any other year. And right now he's on pace for like 19, you know, so I think he's going to have a hard time getting to 30. Is this who he is? Is he going to profile in now as a guy that's like 25 homers and 80 RBIs a year and not the 40 homer, you know, 100 RBI guy that I think everybody thought he was going to be a sample is getting pretty big now over a year and a half but it's not just like a little you know blip on the the power outage yeah it's those are some good points i i i don't know the answer for sure i i i'd like to think he's still that 30 to 35 home run guy here's the one thing that's gone on though the strikeouts have come down and i've, I've written about this for the team and individuals um now he, he just went on a bad strikeout run now but for a while it was really down for him this year so it, 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 it makes sense that if home runs come down, strikeouts are going to come down. If home runs go up, strikeouts are going to go up. I think he's trying to be the complete ball player in the batter's box. I really do. Where he has power and batting average and low strikeouts and great base running numbers and things like that. And it's just like the whole offense. There's a transformation going on that hopefully at the end of the day, it might be a year from now, it, it, they come out on the other side and it's a complete team. And he's a complete player. But is he sacrificing too much power? Because I know he wanted to level off his swing, more of a line drive swing, yeah. which will work in cold weather or when the wind is blowing in. But maybe he's gone too far. I don't know the answer. But there's something in there that's not right right now. Um, for a while, I thought it was just a slump. It does feel like it's maybe more than that. He keeps saying it's just a slump. So I don't know the answer, Fred. I'm not smart enough. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. You want to jump on in and talk some Cubs baseball with Jesse? We'll talk some White Sox top of the hour around eleven o'clock right here on ESPN one thousand. Welcome back in, Fred Hubner along with Jesse Rogers. Murph has the day off. He'll be back next week. The Cubs in Cincinnati this afternoon at three ten start. It'll be Luke Farrell getting the start for the Cubs. We'll talk more about that in a second. And uh, the White Sox have a 110 first pitch on the south side as they continue their series with the A's. Dylan Covey, who uh, struggled in his last outing after three really nice outings, will go for the White Sox. We'll talk some Sox baseball top of the hour. But, Jesse, I wanted to ask you, and if you want to jump in, 312-332-3776. The, um, Kyle Hendricks, uh, he's been a guy that... Over the years, to me, has been really consistent. He's a guy that doesn't seem to get rattled or shaken by much. The last two games, he's walked. I think it's four guys, and he had he walked a runner in the other day, and that's that's so unhendricks like. What have you seen from him, and what what's he been saying about his struggles the last couple of games? Yeah, he's mechanically not always locked in. He he seems to take a little time to find it. Um, gives up an early home run, then settles in. Now the other day that didn't happen. He settled in, got through the first inning, and then you know gave up damage in the middle innings, yeah. you know, in the sixth or whatever it was. It's it's weird. I I can't answer it except he just isn't completely locked in. And of course, we know it, the way he throws the ball, he can't get away with eighty seven, eighty eight without 
the right kind of movement and placement and all that stuff. So I, it's it's got to be mechanics. I, I I still think he'll find it and put up a good stretch. The numbers aren't awful. I think three seventy three ERA, but you know he had a he had a two one three two years ago. So uh, now that's not that's hard to repeat. But if he can, you know, he needs to bring it down to like a three to yeah. to really be successful. I think, but we we think he's capable of better than that. I think. So I don't, I don't know. It's just it's just not being locked in. That's the best I can tell you. You know, we had a caller in the last segment who brought up a point that I hadn't even thought of because, you know, you think about the Cubs maybe not hitting or scoring as many runs, but we talk about their ERA, and their ERA is actually pretty good when you look at it. But, tops, tops in the league. Right, But the, and then you look, and, you know, Lester's doing real well, but then you got Hendricks, question mark, Quintana, question mark, Chatwood, question mark. Uh, Montgomery is like their second best pitcher going right now uh, because, since he's been in the rotation. I think he's got a ERA of like 0.94 or something like that. It's, yeah, it's crazy. That's why this has been a weird first half. They have the best ERA right now, second best offense. They have the best defense, at least efficiency. They've made more errors than they'd want, but yet you're just you said it right, Lester. You who do you have confidence in, Lester? Yeah. Montgomery right now. You don't know if that's going to last, and then everyone else is kind of a question mark. But but here's the thing that I think we all have tunnel vision on. We don't look at the competition. You know, the Brewers have been shut out 10 times. Yeah. That's two more than the Cubs. We only look at the Cubs' flaws. Everybody in the National League has flaws. No one's running away with anything. And that's a good thing. Now, before I get out of here, because it's the ballpark, i got to address this. Because every time Bryant goes 0 for 4, <laughs> oh, he hasn't been the same since he got hit. Yeah. Every amateur psychologist tweets that at me, okay? Now... Is a month a pretty good amount of time to judge a hitter? I think so, right? Yeah, well, it's not pretty bad. You figure how many months do you play the game? For yes. you got you got April, May, June, July, yeah. August, September, October. So, so what? So six, seven months. Yeah. So you take a month and you look at a hitter. It's a it's a decent amount of time since coming back. Okay, April twenty second, he got hurt. April twenty eighth, he came back. For the month after that, April twenty eighth to May twenty eighth. Okay, immediately after getting hit in the helmet. He had a 903 OPS. His career OPS is 908. So he was right in line with his career average OPS for the month after he got hit. Let me repeat that. For the month after getting beaned in the helmet, when he came back, he had a 903 OPS. From May 28th till today, so almost a month, not quite, his OPS is 697. So are you telling me the after effects came a month later. If you believe that, okay, we can argue that. Yeah. But do not tell me since being beaten, he hasn't been the same. He was the same for a full month. He hit six home runs during that month. Since then, he has like one or two or whatever it is. His OPS, 903 for the first month, 697 for the second month. Now, if those numbers were reversed, it would make a lot more sense. He's struggling after coming be- coming back from being bean. Now right. a month later, he's feeling more comfortable. He goes on a run. The OPS is better, but it's it's not like that. He was great when he came back. He's been bad for the month after that. So stop asking me that. Unless you're going to tell me the after effects jumped up at him a month later or came came up on him a month later, which doesn't make a lot of sense. You know when uh, Joe looks at his uh, bench today, he's going to be able to sit and look at Bryant. And he's going to see Almora, and he's going to see Baez. That's not a bad bench if you get late in the game and you get you need to to get a guy to come on, come to the plate and get a hit. No, especially with the what uh, what the Reds have on their bullpen. Their top guys are from the left side. 
uh, Garrett and their closer and everything. So um, that that is uh, uh, some good weapons, of course. If he decides to give Bryant the full day off, <laughs> then he won't, then, he won't play him. Cross him off. <laughs> I didn't like that at all. I know you didn't, and I, I agreed with you. It, it, again, uh, you know me. I, I I criticize everybody, and we'll get to the White Sox yeah, in the do. next hour uh, because I got I got something for uh, Yohan Moncada and also Lucas Giolito and a, a bunch of other people. But the what thing if he that, decides to give all three the day off completely? I know. Then he's stuck. Then he's got he's Chris Jimenez has right. to pinch hit. Uh, but the thing that bothered me is when Joe Kett, he did it twice in one week. He goes, it was the right call. Well, Joe, you I got, know that bothers you. Oh, yeah. my God. It's the right call. That's where the cockiness comes out. It used to be, Joe, remember when Joe first got here? Anytime you want to you know, disagree with me, I'll be more than happy to talk to you about it. Then all of a sudden, what was the phrase he used? Uh, you know, Unsophisticated. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Unsophisticated. Well, well, that's I, calling the guy out now. I think, you know, it, it's funny. When I write things and, and, and give an opinion, sometimes I, I want to say, in my opinion, it was the right call. Yeah. And my editor will say, you don't need to do that. It's our, we know it's your opinion. It. Yeah. I feel like it's the same thing with Joe. Would you feel better if he said, in my opinion, it was the right call? Yes, I would have. Okay. That's but, just me. But yeah. But you realize the fact that he made the move, he obviously thinks it's the right call. Yeah. So I know what you're saying. I absolutely do. But obviously, he doesn't have to say it. We know he thinks it's the right call because he made the move. Yeah. Well, but, you know, what? I know what you mean. If he, I, I just want to hear him once say it was the wrong call. I'm, I screwed up. Well, I shouldn't have. Done. Re- read my book. He did say it was the wrong call in Game Six when he left Chapman in. Okay, so once, once. once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Enjoy the game today. Hopefully, the Cubs will get some runs for uh, Luke Farrell, and he can give him four or five innings. Every day. Enjoy the last hour. Sorry, I'm deserting you. That's fine. Uh, this has been fun. Tell Murph to take a couple more weeks off. I love <laughs> uh, being with you, but I also love coming on with the both of you. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Sounds great. Jesse Rogers in Cincinnati. You can always follow him at ESPN Shy Cubs on Twitter. We'll talk some White Sox. Sox fans, you're on hold. Hang in there. We're going to get to a lot of White Sox talk in the next half hour. we got an MLB notebook at around 1130. Lots to do. I even throw in some soccer. Mexico holding on to a one nothing lead at the intermission against South Korea. Germany, a big half-to-win game later on today. We'll talk about that and more. 312-332-3776 here on ESPN 1000. Welcome back in the Murph and Fred show here on ESPN 1000 every Saturday from 9 till noon. Murph's got the day off. Jesse has left me so we can talk some White Sox baseball. Sox fans, jump on in. 312-332-3776. The White Sox last night, yesterday, actually split a doubleheader. And Cub fans, if you want to jump in, you can still talk uh, Cub baseball. They play a 310 White Sox, a 110 star. We've talked a lot of Cubs baseball first couple hours here. Wanted to get into some White Sox stuff. Um, The White Sox are one of those teams, when we had Bob Nightingale on, they're one of those teams that are uh, way out and not not drawing a ton of fans. Right now, the White Sox, 25 and 50. That's pretty easy to figure out. 333 uh, winning percentage. They're 16 and a half games out. Um, And they got a win yesterday, snapping an eight-game losing streak. That's right. They had lost eight straight games. They got a nice pitch game yesterday from Lucas Giolito, one of the best games he's pitched in a while, according to his manager, Ricky Renteria. Looked like his velocity was up to 94 today. Uh, much more, uh, a lot more conviction in his pitches. A much uh, truer line to the plate. That he trusted himself today. 
Uh, was break, his breaking ball was working early. High speed, fastball, again, had some ride. I was attacking the strike zone early. Uh, did a nice job, seven plus. Did you notice him doing anything different today, or was it just something it all worked today? No, it all worked today. Like I said, uh, Coop, Coop says that every every bullpen has gotten better, you know, from the beginning to this point. Uh, he sees progress. Uh, the velocity uh, that he showed today was something that, you know, Coop was seeing in his work. He could see that his, his deliveries, you know, continuing to improve. Uh, I think, again... He was just trusting himself, really attacking the strike zone, trusted his breaking ball today when he needed to, um, and just tried to command as much as he could. Did a nice job. Uh, first, first pitch strikes, I think, might have been up. I had to look at it. Yeah, the first inning for the White Sox yesterday, uh, Lucas Giolito got the first two guys out, and then he walked two guys in a row. Okay, he walked the two guys right off the bat, and then Oakland actually scored a run in the first inning. Not the way you want to start. White Sox got three in the bottom of the second, and then went on to that 6-4 win. Giolito, again, he walked two guys in the first, didn't walk another guy, and he talked about his outing. You know, it was, it was a tough eighth inning, but throughout the whole game, uh, felt in sync. Uh, Narvi and I were working really well, finally commanding the fastball the way I should. Um yeah, definitely the best I felt out there this year, for sure. I think velocity was up a tick. Um, yeah, just felt right, felt in sync, and uh, just competed from there. Giolito actually said something at the very beginning of this cut that you want, you'd like to hear all of your starters say. You know, it was it was a tough eighth inning. Yeah, but... if it was a tough eighth inning means you've gone seven. Okay, as it turned out, he went seven plus innings, allowing four runs. He walked just the two that he walked in the first inning. He struck out eight. White Sox got that six four win. Omar Narvaez, the catcher, with three hits, he drove in a couple of runs. Charlie Tilson with a an RBI single, also a couple of hits yesterday for Adam Engel. I, I keep thinking Adam Engel is going to get more hits. He had one hit yesterday. He drove in two. Tilson with two hits and an RBI. Uh, Engel also made a tremendous catch uh, yesterday. I was kind of wondering. I'm watching the game on TV and I hear... Engel uh, takes another one. Adam Engel saves the day. One down. Yeah, that's what I heard yesterday. He saved the day. He made a nice catch. Granted, it was a nice catch, but saved the day. They'd lost eight in a row. I mean, it wasn't like it was in the ninth inning, okay? That's when you save the day with a catch like that when you're up a run or two. Right, Eric? I mean, I just... I mean, it saves the day. Come on. The whole day is better because Angle made that. Well, it was going to be a ruin. Armageddon was going to happen, yeah. but he saved the day. He saved the day, and then everything is fine, and I liked Armageddon. Bruce Willis dies. I'm sorry, I just gave you a... Oh, spoiler alert, yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, it's only about, well, 15 years or whatever <laughs> it is. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big Adam Engel fan. I think he works his tail off in the outfield. I really like what he does. And earlier this year, he dropped a couple of balls and everybody was getting all over him. I like, he gets to the ball. I thought he was going to be hitting better. But even yesterday... After he gets his uh, one hit, going one for four, he's hitting 206. Charlie Tilson, two for three. He's got some speed. He can play the outfield, hitting 291. Who knows what this guy might have been if he didn't get hurt at the beginning of last year after the one game he played. So you want to jump in, 312-332-3776. I want to talk a little bit about Johan Moncada. And uh, actually, before I even get to it, let's go out to the roads and Billy. Billy, you're on ESPN 1000. What's going on? Hey, good morning. I guess you and I are on the same wavelength. I want to talk Mankata. First, let's say what's easy um, and, and self-evident. And, and I said this, by the way, 
it's easy to say it today. When the trade was made, I know it's vogue to say, oh, it's a win-win. The Red Sox won and the White Sox won. That is a bunch of BS. Sales having back-to-back Cy Young years. Um, you got to get some major league talent young in return that's proven. Like for Quintana, they should have gotten Schwarber. So when it comes to Mancada, he is on pace to set the record for most strike strikeouts in the history of the major leagues, and he's a leadoff hitter. The only reason he won't set the record is because he missed like ten or twelve games on the DL. But look at the numbers. Well, and because it, and because Joey Gallo's in Major League Baseball, that's why he won't set the record. <laughs> Joey Gallo will set the record. He's as bad. He's worse than his numbers say. Here's the other thing that his numbers don't show. He's whatever, 23 years old. If you look at his body shape, he's only stolen seven bases, and I think he's been thrown out two or three times. He is on pace to easily be, um, to easily be, he's going to be a DH at the age of 27. He's fat and slow. And he he brings nothing. He he's he's a complete bust. Um, look at his numbers. And I'm sick of people stating these trades were win wins for all the organizations. They were not win wins. Well, Kopech's also in that deal, Billy. We appreciate the call. And, and I, I'm not nearly as I was. Down, I'm down on Moncada, but not nearly as down as you are. Okay. Uh, I I think I'd like to see him just hit from the left side and not hit from the right side at all. Uh, all of his homers, his nine homers are from the left side of the plate. Um, he looks, he looks uninterested at times. And that's frustrating. And, and with the strikeouts, just so you know, Joey Gallo, 261 at bats. He has 109 strikeouts. Uh, Yohan Moncada, 264 at bats. So three more at bats and he has five less strikeouts. Then it's Stanton and Judge. Okay. If you're going to hit 18, 19 homers and strike out a hundred times, that's different than hitting nine home runs and especially leading off. He's taken a lot of called third strikes. He looks uninterested in, or disinterested in the field. He made two errors in the first game last night. He went one for nine. And when he got the one hit, it was a line shot off the pitcher. And I heard the broadcasters on TV saying, he's hit the ball hard all day. You know what? I don't care how hard he hits the ball. I understand the whole thing about, uh, about um, you know, speed off the bat and everything else. In baseball, it always used to be hit them where they ain't, okay? And Yohan Moncada, he comes up, and when he does hit the ball, he seems like he hits the first pitch, which I give him credit. A lot of times, and I, I dif- disagree with a lot of people, even when a pitcher walks a couple of guys, they yell when a guy goes to the plate and swings at the first pitch. A lot of times in baseball, the best pitch you're going to get is the first pitch out there. Jose Abreu takes a lot of first pitches. And there are times when I'm watching the Sox and I go, man, would you just swing? They're going to get a fresh, a fastball over the plate to start the at bat and you don't swing. He almost never swings at the first pitch and it, it gets frustrating watching him. But Moncada does swing at the first pitch, especially batting lefty. And I w- I'd like to find out, we can find out how many of his uh, home runs were off the first pitch. But his numbers right now, he's hitting 223, a 295 on base. Again, he's leading off of the White Sox. One of the reasons probably that they're 25 games under 500. And his slugging is 394. He is just not doing what he is meant to do. Now, I said last year, I didn't want to bring him up so soon because he was learning a new position. He was not a second baseman. He had played third and played other positions. 
Everybody told me, and Rick Hahn believed, that he, there was nothing else for him to prove in the minor leagues. I disagreed with that because he was striking out in the minor leagues also. Okay? He's got to cut down on his strikeouts. You can't strike out 104 times in 67 games. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You're you're a middle infielder, okay? I know you got some pop to your bat, but you can't be striking out like this. And uh, I'm not going to say he's fat and he's slow and he can't steal bases. The White Sox and, and stolen bases are a thing that nobody really cares about anymore, okay? The leader in all of baseball in stolen bases has 22. Okay, he has seven. And um, people don't, they're not that concerned about stolen bases in baseball anymore. Tim Anderson, by the way, for the White Sox has 14. It's not a big thing anymore, okay? They don't like guys getting on base. They don't want you stealing unless you're 100% sure you're going to make it. Because what is what do all the people say about sacrifice bunting? You're giving away one of those precious 27 outs. You get thrown out stealing. How many times have you seen a Sox fan or a Cub fan? How many times have you seen... A guy get thrown out stealing on a two or three ball pitch, usually a two ball pitch. And next thing you know, as soon as he gets thrown out, the guy at the plate either gets a hit or walks. It's like, so a lot of times you don't want the guy stealing. Get on base. That would be nice. And when the ball's hit, go from first to third. But stealing's not a big thing, okay? But I'm still going to criticize Moncada. One for nine yesterday. I would have benched him yesterday in the second game. Ricky Renteria didn't do that. Moncada, again, 0 for 4. He hit the ball all four times in the first game. 0 for 4, and he had two errors. And it was a rough day for him, in my opinion. One for nine, two strikeouts, two errors. White Sox do split the doubleheader. 312-332-3776. Talk some White Sox baseball. Let's go on out to Addison and Dick. You're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Dick, what's up? Hey, I think I might have a solution to baseball. Give these guys a fighting chance. They can't catch up to a 98-mile-an-hour fastball or a sinker. So push the mound back two feet. Let everybody continue playing the way they are. The pitchers continue throwing all their pitchers in their repertoire. But move the mound back two feet. Give these guys a chance to swing. The attendance is way down. The strikeups are way out, way up. You're getting first-place teams hitting 222. No, or whatever it is that you guys told me about. 20 yeah, 220, 227 right now. And uh, the team yeah. that's hitting 227 is leading the National League West. Right. Yeah. Push the mound back two feet. And don't change anything else. Keep the game the way it is. Just the distance. Let it change. Well, Give I, these guys a chance. Dick, appreciate the call. I think Murph, had, Murph actually had that. Was it last week or two weeks ago? He's suggesting moving the mound back, but he didn't have two feet. Right, he's in, and it's a good point because these players, so many pitchers are throwing 98, 99 now. Yeah. And the mound has remained the same length or the same height. Whether height. They, they could lower the mound, too, that would make a resolution. So maybe evolving the field a little bit because these pitchers' arms have evolved so much. I wonder why they originally had, I mean, I'm sure when baseball first started that they didn't have a mound uh, a mound. It was just where the pitcher threw the ball. I would, I would think they didn't have a mound that high. And then they lowered it because there were so many strikeouts back in the day of Bob Gibson. I just say get rid of the mound. Have them throw off a flat surface. Have them throw, and then it's, you're going to take away any of that. Uh, they're all going to lose a couple of miles an hour on their fastball if you take that off. 
that would lead to more offense. Like yeah. that would make sense. It really would lead to more offense. It'd and it's real simple. Just you just eliminate the mound. Yeah. This way, nobody trips in the mound. No, uh, no they're... screwy hops off the mound. Exactly. None of that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And speaking of that, and we'll get right back to the calls three one two three three two three seven seven six. Talking some White Sox baseball. Speaking of old time baseball, tomorrow. If you got nothing to do, head on out to Elmhurst, okay? The Elmhurst History Museum. They've done this before. Join the Elmhurst community for an old-fashioned baseball game played by the wildly different rules of 1858. Learn to cheer and jeer in fine Victorian fashion as two Elmhurst clubs chock full of local celebrities play for your favor. Bring a picnic basket, lawn chairs for the family-friendly game played by true sportsmen from an era of wooden bats and iron men. Fun for all ages. Uh, game takes place at the Elmhurst College Mall in front of the Hammerschmidt Chapel. Um, no tickets. It's free. No tickets or registration required. It's 2 o'clock tomorrow. You can go to ElmhurstHistory.org for more information. I would love to. I got something going on tomorrow. I can't make it out there. I wanted to go last year and couldn't make it. But get on out there. See the see baseball the way it was played back in the day. Um, the gloves weren't huge. Heck, they were just basically leather with a couple of with the the fingers in it. So uh, get it. Go on out there tomorrow. And when you're done with the Elmhurst History Museum and checking out the game, you can walk on over to uh, Elmhurst Brewing. Uh, I have not been there yet, but it's an awesome place from the people I know that have gotten out there. Uh, grab a beer or two at uh, Elmhurst Brewing. 312-332-3776. Let's go back to the roads. And Tyler, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Tyler. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Good. What's going on? So I want to talk a little bit about Nick Madrigal. Obviously, you know, I've been watching a lot of him in the, in the College World Series. Um, by the way, I love the draft pick. I mean, I think it was obviously he's the best available player. He's great, great person to go to. Um, but obviously, you know, we have our quote-unquote middle infield of the future in Anderson and uh, and, uh, and Moncada, obviously. Where do you see Madrigal fitting in? Do you think he replaces Moncada if he continues to, you know, play like this? Obviously, you know, he won't last very long. Um, what do you see out of Tim Anderson? Do you think they might make one of the three an outfielder? Uh, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that. You know, and Tyler, I think they might make uh, Anderson an outfielder. They they both they both struggle with errors. Um, I, I think combined they have like 22 or 23 errors. Um, you know, two more from Moncada the other day. He leads all second baseman in errors. I think Anderson's like third or fourth in errors in the uh, American League. Uh, Anderson in, in center field makes some sense. Um, Madrigal can play short also. And uh, I would not be surprised if they moved Anderson somewhere, maybe to the outfield, and then uh, you know maybe put him in center field with some of the sluggers they got in the minor leagues, like a you know a Luis a Luis Robert or a Basabi or or obviously Eloy Jimenez uh, in one of the corner outfield positions or even a DH. Um, but that would not surprise me. I would not be against moving out Tim Anderson because uh, you know Tim Anderson's getting lucky right now because I'm railing on Yohan Moncada because usually I'm railing on Tim Anderson because of the way he. <laughs> fields the ball i mean it's just you know he hit a homer yesterday he does lead the team in stolen bases he leads him in homers too i think and um i don't want my tim anderson leading a team in home runs i want it to be one of the other guys um yeah so but i i agree with you on the magical pick i thought that was a great pick because he's 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 uh he's not a slugger the white Sox for decades it seemed like would go for the six four, six five, big, strong, tall guy that could play a first base or outfield or DH, and none of them worked. 
and Which not is terrible, right? <laughs> and and now it seems like they're actually starting to draft better. Uh, Zach Collins, the catcher they drafted, he won the home run derby for the the Double A Birmingham Barons uh, uh, earlier this week, and he's actually getting on base a ton. He's got a great eye at the plate. They're just working on his catching abilities, but uh, they've got they've got some guys down there, the minors too. That you know, it's going to be fun. It's just a struggle right now watching White Sox baseball. That's for sure. I'm excited for the next, you know, hopefully seven or eight, nine, ten years. Yeah, that would be nice. It'd be nice to have good baseball on both sides of town. Tyler, thanks a lot for the call. 312-332-3776. Let's go back to the phones. Northbrook, Joe, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Joe. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Joe. Uh, my comment was, you know, just I, I know Baez uh, struggled a lot in the in the previous years with striking out at an alarming rate, so... I mean, I know Moncada's the future for the Sox, so I, and I know it's stressful to watch him strike out now, but and he's not going to be the defender that Baez is, but, I mean, Baez turned out okay, so there's hope, you know. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I guess there is. I mean, Baez still, I, I, he's got to be frustrating to Cub, some Cub fans because he's he seemed to be doing one thing really good this year, and that's laying off some of those outside pitches. He's actually taken some walks. He's got 12 walks this year. Uh, and that, you know, for him, that's a hell of a lot of walks. He usually doesn't take any. Uh, he has struck out 68 times, second most on the team. Um, you're right about the, the thing about him striking out a lot and now cutting down on him. I would expect Moncada to, to cut down on his strike, strikeouts. I just uh, am upset because the way that, uh, Baez strikes out, he strikes out swinging hard. And the way Moncada strikes out, he's taken a lot of called third strikes. And I know that Ricky Renteria, the Sox skipper, made, was making excuses for him last week. Now, he may say they weren't excuses. He was just stating a fact. But he was saying that Moncada's not getting some of the the borderline calls. Well, young guys are not going to get borderline calls. Your Chris Bryant may get them. Uh, eventually, no one's going to get them if they put the computerized strike zone in, which I hope they do uh, sometime down the road because I'm, I'm tired of watching baseball where the ball's outside the plate and it's getting called a strike and the ball's over the plate and it's getting called a ball. Sometimes catchers set up wrong and the umpires get thrown off. Uh, hopefully that'll change, but you know, if if Yohan Moncada can be half the player that Baez is in the field, and if he could be better, I'm going to say better. I'm projecting him to be a better hitter than Javi Baez is. I mean, Baez right now is hitting two sixty six, three oh nine, five twenty nine. Uh, I think Moncada can do that. Uh, if you, after a couple of years in the bigs, we'll have to keep an eye on that in a couple of years and revisit that. 312-332-3776. The uh, batting line order is out there for the White Sox. And I guess Ricky doesn't want to sit a Yohan Moncada. Moncada leading off and playing second base. Uh, you have Avi Garcia. He's back. He is playing right field for the White Sox after his season long injury. Uh, it seems like, or at least the first half of the season. Uh, Jose Abreu is hitting third at first base. Davidson is your DH. Kevin Smith is catching. He's been getting on base. And uh, yesterday, Narvaez with three hits, and uh, he drove in a couple of runs. You have uh, Sanchez at third, Yolmer Sanchez. Anderson is hitting seventh at shortstop. Adam Engel in center field. Charlie Tilson is in left field. And Dylan Covey is pitching for the White Sox today. Covey's a guy that uh, they got as a... um as a Rule 5 guy last year, he was up with the team. He was pitching uh, and not pitching well at all. And this year, 
he is doing one heck of a job. Now, he had a rough outing in his last outing, okay? But other than that, Dylan Covey is pitching very well. He's got a 3-2 and two record with a 290 earned run average. Seven games started. Uh, a lot of times in baseball, there's so many numbers and stats you look at in baseball. In pitchers, you look at hits to innings pitch. You can look at walks to hits and innings pitch. He, but Covey, he's pitched 40 and a third. He's given up 41 hits. That's not bad. He's walked just 16. That's maybe even a little high for him, but 16 walks in 40 and a third innings. His uh, whip is 141. And I, I can't wait to see what he does today because he did struggle a little bit in his last outing after three really nice outings. Dylan Covey going for the White Sox against the Oakland A's. Again, we'll get to this uh, again and revisit the poll. Uh, we had some poll questions for you. And uh, the one with the White Sox was, what should the White Sox do with Yohan Moncada? A, let him learn in the bigs, leave him up here all season long, or or send him to Charlotte. Now, sending him to Charlotte, you send guys to the minors, they come back. It's happened to a lot of people, okay? You saw what happened with Kyle Schwarber last year. Send him to the minors, Schwarber decides to rededicate his body. He's got 15 homers. He's You're midway through the season, he's got 15 round trippers. He's a 30, 30 home run pace, pretty simple, right? And he's a guy that actually is playing better in left field. And And I keep hearing everybody giving him credit for throwing people out of the bases. He deserves the credit. But you know what else? managers and coaches in Major League Baseball that run on Kyle Schwarber. He was a catcher. Yesterday, he bobbled a ball in the corner in left field he was going after because he was anxious or eager to throw the guy out at second base. All he needs to do, he, anytime anybody gambles on him, you're going to be out. And yesterday, Joey Votto on second base, the Reds did this twice yesterday. They doubled, got a single, and couldn't score because of the outfield arms that the Cubs have. And that's going to be something to keep an eye on because Jason Hayward, a great throw earlier in this week against the Dodgers, and yesterday Votto couldn't come home because they were fearful of the arm of Jason Hayward. Well, they should always be fearful of the arm of Kyle Schwarber in left field because he's going to throw a lot of guys out. We're going to do an MLB notebook. We come back. You want to jump in? 312-332-3776. Fred Hubner with you till the top of the hour on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. And the ball driven to left center. Sousa. He's got it! He's got it! It's a no-hitter! Fred goes around the horn. It's a triple play for the Sox. Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Fred's Baseball Notebook. We usually do this on Sunday. I'm not going to be here tomorrow, so uh, Abdallah and Black they don't have to do it if they don't want to. So I'll do it today. I think we're going to get an Abdallah MLB notebook tomorrow. That'll be fun. Yes, that'll be thrilling. It might be a quick one, 30 <laughs> seconds. I'm going to assume it will be. <laughs> so uh, here's a look at the MLB notebook. We talk so much White Sox and Cubs. There's baseball going on everywhere as there are uh, 28 other teams in baseball. Pretty soon there'll be 30 other teams because there'll be 32 teams and then they'll figure about realignment and all that other stuff. But there's a big series going on uh, that the Cubs are keeping an eye on as the Brewers and the Cardinals are going at it. And yesterday there was a situation where they actually did go at it. And there is the bunt. 
And Hicks going to second base. And a collision at second out as Munoz and Sogard collide. Red Council wants to take a look. And now Munoz comes up on Sogard. And he returns a favor and the bench is clear. Now the bullpens are coming out. Ah, you don't come up on Sogard. You don't do that. Uh, Cardinals and Brewers, the rivalry in the National League Central. Jack Flaherty was pitching really, really well. And then uh, Jesus Aguilar went to work. Uh, not one, but two. In the air to left field. That is back. Ozuna at the wall. hit of the game one out in the seventh inning and it's a long ball by Jesus Aguilar here it is swing and a fly ball right center and deep get up get out of here go for Aguilar and the Brewers have beaten St. Louis Jesus Aguilar does it again he hit one to tie game in the seventh he just hit a game winner here in the ninth and the brewers have beaten st louis final tonight brewers two cardinals one. Oh, bob euchre is excited as the brewers go to 45 and 30 they are 15 over 500 They've won three in a row, and with those wins and the Cubs' back-to-back losses, Milwaukee with a two-game lead over the North Siders. Cubs are 42-31. and 31. They have three fewer wins, one more loss. St. Louis is six and a half games back. It was I was listening to um, Len and J.D., and they were trying to figure out when the Cardinals play the Brewers, how you want that series to go. And they said they were thinking you probably want the Cardinals to win the series. Um because they're behind the Cubs, and uh, this way the Cubs would be able to catch the Brewers. Uh, the Cubs have to win first, and uh, they're gonna, they got two more games in Cincinnati before heading out to Los Angeles. Now, elsewhere around baseball, Arizona and Pittsburgh played yesterday, okay? It was a very interesting game, and one of the reasons it's interesting, there were 12 hits in the game, eh, you know. That's okay. 30 strikeouts. 12 hits and 30 strikeouts. The final score, the Diamondbacks 2, Pittsburgh 1 in 13 innings. We talk about sticking around and watching baseball and nobody trying to score. 2-1 to the final. Arizona over the Pirates in 13 innings. They went 13 innings and there were a total of 12 hits in the game. That's just brutal. And it's going out all around baseball. There were in that St. Louis Milwaukee game yesterday, there were six hits and 30 strikeouts. In the Kansas City Houston game yesterday, 11 hits, 18 strikeouts. It's not supposed to be this way, people. It's not supposed to have that many strikeouts in games like this. That was a wild one in Atlanta. Okay. In Atlanta, you had the Orioles going against the Braves. And Atlanta had a 3-1 lead. Looks like things are going well. We go to the top of the ninth inning, and Baltimore scores not one, not two. They score six. Okay, so all of a sudden, it's a 7-3 lead in favor of the Orioles. Atlanta comes back in the bottom of the ninth inning and scores four runs. There were ten runs scored in the ninth inning yesterday. We talk about all these strikeouts. Ten runs scored in the ninth inning. And then, as it went uh, extras, there was a guy that, I don't know. He could be a Cub infielder, but uh, 
he did some work in the extra innings. So the Orioles get a potential go-ahead. Down to second base on the sacrifice for Manny Machado. In the air, left field. Got a lot of that one. Short porch and goodbye, home run! Manny Machado! I told you they shouldn't pitch to him. I told you they shouldn't pitch to him. With two strikes, Manny Machado into the bullpen. Wave it bye-bye in the top of the 15th inning. Nine to seven Orioles. Ah, the Orioles went on to win that one. I told you you shouldn't pitch to him. <laughs> Manny Machado with a home run, and the Orioles come away a winner. Speaking of home runs, this guy's hit a few. His name is Oduble Herrera. In the air to right field. Forget about that one. Man, did he turn on it. That is a long solo home run for Oduble Herrera. His third hit of the day. That one's pulled out toward right field. Going back on it is Bader. It is gone! Three-run home run! Oduble golfs one deep to right field. It is gone! He's homered again! When he hits them, they get out in a hurry, don't they? Swung on and that one's hit well. Deep to right field, and that one is gone! A solo shot by Oduble Herrera. Four games in a row for Oduble, no doubt about it. That one deep to right field. Harper's going back. It is gone! Into the Nats' bullpen. Five straight games with a home run for Oduble Herrera. He is just unbelievably locked in. Oduble Herrera, home runs in five straight games. And uh, Philadelphia right now, they are two and a half back of Atlanta in the National League East. Washington in third place. Three games back is going to be quite a race with those three teams. And who would have guessed it that Atlanta and Philly would be ahead of Washington at this time of the season in the National League East. I mentioned the uh, Brewers leading the Cubs by two games in the Central. In the West, Arizona, a two-and-a-half game lead on the Dodgers. Dodgers getting some good news as they're getting a pitcher back. Clayton Kershaw returns for the Dodgers today against the New York Mets. His last start was May 31st. Uh, that was also returned from the DL. He landed on the DL after that. His last two starts, May 31st and before that, May 1st. Uh, Kershaw coming back. See how he does later on today. The Dodgers two and six this season in games started by Kershaw. So even when he's there, they have not been doing all that well. Over in the American League, the West Houston has a three and a half game lead over Seattle. Seattle would be one of the wild card teams in the American League. If again, those dreaded words, if the season were to end today, uh, in the central, Cleveland starting to pull away. They have a six-game lead on Detroit. Minnesota, which is having a really disappointing season. They're six games under 500. Minnesota is seven back of Cleveland. Cleveland with a 41 and 33 record. And in the East, it's the Yankees up on Boston by just one game. And speaking of a game, the Red Sox beat the Mariners 14 to 10 yesterday in a game that featured nine runs in the first inning alone. We talked about the game where the Braves and the Orioles had 10 runs scored in the ninth inning. Yesterday, there were nine runs scored in the first inning of the Red Sox-Seattle game. J.D. Martinez and Nelson Cruz, the first players on opposing teams to record at least four hits and five RBIs in the same game. Since Dante Bichette, Sean Casey, and Jeffrey Hammonds did it in a 24-12 Reds win over the Rockies in 1999. J.D. Martinez, four of the Red Sox season-high 20 hits. It was his third four-hit game this season after entering the season with four career four-hit games. 
That's not bad. Look isn't at it? that. That's yeah. interesting. He had four for his career, and he's got four already this season. Uh, Cruz, by the way, knocked in seven of the Mariners' ten runs. So uh, Boston, as I mentioned, they're a game back of the Yankees. Seattle, three and a half back of Houston. So for years and years, I keep telling you, ah, Seattle, they're coming. Seattle's going to get better. They're going to be there. It looks like slowly but surely they are getting there. Uh, a couple things I wanted to get to before uh, I talk a little bit of World Cup soccer. Um, the White Sox minor league team, Charlotte, playing the Toledo Mudhens later on tonight. Six o'clock. You can see the game on NBC Sports Chicago. Maybe your first time. Maybe you didn't see the uh, uh, Arizona Fall League game a couple years ago. Maybe your first time to actually sit down and watch an Eloy Jimenez play. That's later on tonight on NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, Charlotte and Toledo. Michael Kopech, how's he doing in Charlotte? Well, there's no hurry to rush him up right now. Let's just say that. He is, uh, three and five in Charlotte with a 508 ERA, 67 in the third innings, 88 strikeouts, 46 walks. Kopech slowly but surely learning his way and how to get better in, uh, in baseball. So we'll see. Uh, I don't want to see either Jimenez or Kopech up with the White Sox until September. Now, you may say, oh, come on, we want to see him early. It's it's terrible watching this team right now. Well, you're right. It isn't fun watching the White Sox well, right now. Well, if you want to see Eloy tonight after the Sox game on Comcast, that AAA game is going to be on, so Eloy's in the lineup for that. So That's right. get your fix in that way, and you can get your magical fix in, I believe, at 7 o'clock tonight for a College World Series game, too. Yeah, Nick Madrigal in Oregon State uh, winning. They had a big game today as uh, they're trying to advance in the College World Series. Um, we come back. We'll talk a little bit about the World Cup, but you know what? we got to call her. Let's jump on uh, Tim first. Hey, Tim, what's going on? Hello, Tim. Hello. Yeah, what's up? Hello. Yep. Yeah, I'm calling uh, about Chris Bryant, <clears throat> and uh, I think basically uh, when he came up, uh, he was hitting home runs, but he was he's always was a streak hitter, and uh, I think he's uh, trying to try to just make contact, single doubles. I think if he could just go back being himself and uh, have mental freedom just to get in there and swing and just be himself, he'll come out of this. You know, the one thing, and Tim, we appreciate the call from Indiana. Chris Bryant, I think Chris Bryant is one of the top five players in all the game of baseball. I really do. And he's in a situation right now where you don't know how he's feeling at the plate. And he was asked yesterday if he feels like himself at the plate right now. No, I mean, I'm only going to feel like myself. I don't, I don't think I'll ever feel like myself. <laughs> I could go out there and break Barry Bonds' home run record and still find something wrong with me. Um, so, no, is your answer. And um, maybe no for any time in the future. I think there's always a time where, you know, I swear it's like you figure out your offense and then it's like your defense goes to crap. It's like, geez, like, can we put it all together one time? And that's usually how this game is, man. It's So, I mean, there's plenty of times where I feel great at the plate and then, you know, I'm a little shaky on throws first or feeling the ground ball and stuff like that. So, um, it's an endless pursuit of perfection that will is very tough to get to. That was very interesting, I thought, uh, because you don't hear Chris Bryant. Usually you hear short sound bites and he said, you know, you can break Bond's record and still not feel like himself, and you can't get it all together. And uh, he's trying. He, he believe me, he's trying. 
Uh, he'll have to try from the bench today as he gets the day off as the Cubs take on the Reds. We'll run down the starting lineups and also talk a little bit of soccer before we're out of here. Top of the hour. Fred Hubner with you. The Murph and Fred Show on ESPN 1000. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you. Murph's got the uh, day off. He'll be back next Saturday. Quickly uh, look at the uh, starting lineups for the Sox and the Cubs, both with afternoon games. Sox at uh, 110. Moncada, Avi Garcia, Jose Abreu, then Davidson, Smith, Kevin Smith, the catcher, and um, Yolmer Sanchez. Tim Anderson's at shortstop, hitting seventh with Adam Engel in center. Charlie Tilson in left and Dylan Covey taking the mound, trying to get better. Uh, he had three nice outings in a row and then struggled in his last outing. For the Cubs, Bryant, Almora, Baez all starting on the bench. Tommy Lestelle leading off at third base. Jason Hayward in right. Ben Zobrist is hitting third at second base. It's Anthony Rizzo. In the cleanup spot, Wilson Contreras behind the plate. Kyle Schwarber hitting sixth in left field. Addison Russell is back at short. Ian Happ in center field. And Luke Farrell getting the start for the Cubs today. A 310 first pitch. Cubs have dropped the first two in Cincinnati. Let's see what they can do today. Uh, trying to get a win as the Brewers now have a two-game lead over the Cubs in the division. Quickly, some World Cup soccer. Earlier today, it was uh, Romelu Lukaku with a couple of goals. Second straight multi-goal game. First player to do that at the World Cup since Diego Maradona in 1986. Belgium, an easy winner over uh, Tunisia. Uh, Group G, um, hey, what do you know? South Korea scored. Uh, Mexico with a 2-1 lead over South Korea right now. And Mexico trying to wrap this one up because uh, they will advance to the knockout stage with a win and a Sweden win or draw against Germany. That game coming up at 1 o'clock today. South Korea will be eliminated with a loss. They've got about another minute to figure out how to get another goal against Mexico. Mexico has not lost its second game of a World Cup since 1978. Uh, six nothing to West Germany. The big game for me, being a German guy after they lost, will be Germany and Sweden coming up at one o'clock. Sweden advances with a win and a Mexico win or draw against South Korea. Germany would be eliminated with a loss and a Mexico win or draw against South Korea where it looks like it's good. that would happen because right now Mexico leads two to one in the waning moments of that game. Germany has never failed to advance from its group at the World Cup. So if they don't advance, that would be the first time for the Germans. And Germany, by the way, has not gone winless in two straight World Cup matches since 2006. So we'll see how Germany does. I'm looking here, and there are four changes in the German lineup. So obviously, they were none too happy. One of their starters on the back line, uh, Matt Hummels, is missing the game. So Kimmich, Boateng, Rudiger, and Hector in the back with Cruz and Rudy. Uh, up top, Mueller, uh, I'm sorry, Mueller and uh, Draxel with um, Timo Werner. And uh, obviously, you have Neuer in the goal. So it uh, should be a good game this afternoon. Uh, Germany looking for a victory so they can move on to the knockout stage. There's a chance that uh, if they finish second in the group behind Mexico, they will play Brazil in the knockout uh, phrase, phase. And that would be uh, very interesting. Last time those two teams met, Germany was a 7-1 winner. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. Thanks to Jesse Rogers for jumping on in from Cincinnati. Murph will be back next week. Thanks to Brandon Hyde, the uh, Cubs bench coach. 
Also, Jim Riggleman, the Reds manager, and Bob Nightingale from the USA Today. If you have not read his article, you've got to check it out. There's no ducking the numbers. MLB has a bad baseball problem that's only getting worse. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Eric Ostrowski for all of his help right here on ESPN 1000.